Hello, fairy tale friends. It's Ryan coming in to say Happy New Year. You may be wondering why we're re releasing the Mulan episode. Um, two reasons. One, the Lilo and Stitch episode. We had a hard time finding some of the audio. We ended up finding it at the last second. weren't able to edit it in time. So we wanted to re-release, get something out this week uh, new for you guys. Or not new. Um, But we wanted to release this episode because our host KC will very soon when this episode comes out be getting married. And we're really excited for him uh, and his partner. It's a great episode. We're going to follow it up with the live action Mulan episode, controversial one we know, and then we'll be back on the regular schedule and the Lilo and Stitch episode will be out then with our friend Molly, who actually played Lilo and Disney World. So sit back and relax and enjoy this re-release of the Mulan episode. I'm Tara. I'm Ryan. We love Disney movies. So we decided to watch them all, from Snow White to Frozen 2 and beyond. Each episode, we'll watch a different Walt Disney Animated Studios film and tell you all about it. Did we like it? Does it hold up? Who's our favorite hero? Or villain. We'll give you history and fun facts about each movie. And sometimes, we'll invite our friends to watch along with us. So put on your tiara. Or your evil crown. And join us on our adventure. This is Tara and Ryan's Princess Diary. Hello, listeners. We are back with another delightful episode, uh, another movie that I loved as a child. And we have a special guest who is a childhood friend of mine and who has also become a good friend of Ryan's along the way. So hello, KC. Hey, hey, what's going on? KC is going to be doing uh, Mulan, 1998's Mulan with us. Mm -hmm. KC, now I think you asked to do Mulan. I think we asked you which episode would you like to do and you you suggested doing this one. Uh, Is this a favorite of yours? Yeah, I love this movie. Um, You know, I saw it as like a very, very small child. I don't remember actually seeing it, but like it's, I've always like known the movie because I was really little. I was only like six when this movie um, came out. Um, But I, I probably, I probably saw it with Tara honestly as a little kid there's a very good chance that that happened probably um, true because yeah it was that you said you don't remember seeing this have you seen it since or is it just like oh yeah and like my yeah i'm sure in my adulthood at least, or like you know teen years i definitely remember the plot and like know the movie for sure um yeah i've seen it since this is fun i like when 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 guests are like this is a favorite of mine but i haven't seen it in a while i don't those are like my favorite yeah spot because it's like you have a fondness for it but there's like you have a nostalgia, yeah, and then you're kind of yes. watching it again through a new lens, which is always exciting. What do you like? What 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 is your what do you like so much about it? What do you remember? I just I remember it being uh, I just remember it kind of resonating with me a lot as like a kid. Um, you know, like I would I didn't I felt like I didn't meet a lot of expectations as a kid. So like the theme of like her not meeting all these expectations around her, like that kind of resonated with me a lot um, in the movie. So I. Yeah, no, I mean, no, it's funny that I was like thinking about this before I was like, you know, it, uh, I, I feel like there's, there's themes that I didn't even understand that would resonate with me later in life. But like, I always remembered the movie, right? So like, it always kind of stuck with me. And like, you know, you hear the songs and whatever else. And like, they kind of like, they always kind of stuck with me. Um, as I got older, and like kind of figured out who I am as a person. And you know, so I, this movie just seemed right when you asked a movie. I was like, move on, definitely. There was no question, by the way. I was like, ultimate favorite Disney movie for sure. So just to give a little context, because we do talk a lot about your Tara, your like Disney memories of watching a lot of movies with Jeremy and, and kind of your core New Jersey group of friends. Yeah. 
Casey is the youngest member of, of those of that group. Of the original Mouseketeers. Yes, of the OG. Yes, of the OG group. What is your memory of that? I know I know you were kind of like a baby when they were like kids, but like do you remember do you have any like memories of watching the movies with, with Jeremy and Kelly and Tara and your sister and everybody? So I laughed when I was listening to the episode Jeremy was on because he was like, I have a particularly strong uh, childhood memory and I have like no childhood memories really. So I'm it's the like, same. I I'm the like same. None. It's I have very vague. Yeah, yeah. Memories. So I definitely remember like going to going to the movies with all everyone piling into the back mm-hmm. of the van. Like I, I, I remember seeing a ton of movies, but I don't remember like which ones or have like specific fond like specific memories of each one. Um, yeah. I do remember playing every Disney video game with Jeremy. That was like my favorite thing to do when I was a kid, hanging out with Jeremy and playing Disney and Tara and everybody. But I would always want to play Disney video games. <laughs> the other pilgrimage was always the Freehold Mall. It was like a special trip when we went to the Freehold Mall because it was, was all the, the moms would go with all the kids. Was the theater at the mall? So that wasn't okay. really going to the movies. There was a, a double, a two-story carousel there that was like a big deal. <sighs> two-story Yeah, carousels. yeah. So that was like the That's big so highlight. Dangerous. No, it was really cool. That was the big highlight. And Phanasium. Do you remember Phanasium? It was like with all those... Um, it was like a, not a jungle gym, but like plastic slides and ball pits and oh, stuff like that. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> like parents could just drop their kids off. Like a lot of times we would go with our moms because I remember the limited, we would always be so bored because they would all try on clothes and we would just like sit on the like plush chairs in the like changing room or whatever. But yeah, we used to go to like Natural Wonders, I think was a store we always like got excited about, and the food court was always like, and a big the Disney highlight. store, the Disney and store the Disney was store, a huge store, yes, to connect it back to Disney. Not I don't know. We That's haven't. This is the first me. time we're mentioning it. Yeah. But yeah, the Disney store obviously was like a, a number one stop for us. And I have a feeling our moms probably took us there before they went to the limited. So then like we'd usually have something we could play with or whatever. <laughs> so we could be a little bit calmer. I feel like to this day, if I'm at a mall and there's a Disney store, I will do a loop. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. They're so, closing oh, cool, a lot. Everything else and then wait, wait. Sadly, they're closing a lot of them. I don't think they're like I was I we follow a lot of um theme park journalists and Disney uh Disney podcaster Instagrammer type people but the one I follow the most Carly Wiesel I always give her a shout out because I'm obsessed with her but she was saying something the other day um because there's a Harry Potter store did you hear about the Harry Potter store that opened in New York yes I did it's, in a, the city? it's apparently insane yeah, it's 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 crazy. If you go to Carly Wiesel's Instagram, she's got like a bunch of stories about it if you just want to like see what it looks like inside. But she was talking about how like Universal did it right cuz it feels like this immersive experience and like each time you go, you could like notice different things cuz there's so much in it and she's like she feels like Disney really missed the opportunity there because they tried to rebrand the Disney stores. And I don't think it was quite so successful. And so they're closing a bunch of them. And I think like the first Disney store is out in California somewhere. And that one's closing. Wow. So yeah. So it's kind of crazy to think like this end of an era when you think of like the Disney store. Because I know it was so important to so many generations of kids. Um, Back to Mulan. Mulan, Mulan. 1998. Mulan, So I'll go with KC to where, like, I don't have specific memories the first time I watched it. I just am very, like, connected to this film. But this is one I think I've mentioned in previous podcast episodes. Like, whenever I'm not feeling well or, like, if I have, like, 
an outpatient procedure where it's like, you got to take it easy the rest of the day. Like Mulan will be what I put on. Like I just, I know the music so well and it makes me laugh. It makes me cry. Like every time I watch it, like I get all the feels from Mulan. You said this when the new one came out and you're like, let's watch it. And I was just not shocked, but like. You didn't realize I was so connected with no, Mulan. that one specifically. Yeah. Like, I, I wouldn't have keyed in on that one. Yeah. Um, I, this is, of course, came out in 98. That's, uh, you know, junior year for... That's for, crazy. Uh, young, young Ryan. I'm in middle and, school. Uh, I was six. I, I think... <laughs> at, at this time, I am listening to Limp Biscuit. Cool boy. Being like, I'm a cool guy. And I think I saw it in theaters, probably with my girlfriend... I remember thinking it was okay, and I have now apparently, like, shed my heart. The, the stone wall around my heart has been crumbled. The, <laughs> the, the, the feeling huns have crawled over the wall between them and my heart. Mm, started watching nice work. Of. Thank you. I started watching the making of, and I was like, she really loves her father. Like, yeah. I was like, getting, like, it's, it's good at the, at the making of, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, God, you're going to make yeah. Yeah, so it got an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. And what I found interesting that I didn't really realize is it was based on a Chinese legend Mm -hmm. of who? How do you say it, Ryan? We looked it up. Hua. 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 Yeah, I was like, that's not right. Yeah, so Hua. Hua Hua Mulan. Thank you so much. I knew I was not going to say it right. It's Fa Mulan in the in the animated version, but we looked up that in the live action they changed it back. Uh, and so it's she's a legendary folk heroine, and they from like the northern and southern dynasties area, so around fourth to sixth century A.D. is what I found. And they say that scholars are divided on whether she was a real person or a fictional character. So I guess they go back and forth on how real. She was. I don't know if you guys came across anything or know anything in addition to that, but that's kind of what I found about everything it. Everything I saw was just folklore, so... Got it. I don't know that they said that. Um, yeah. Real quick, uh, 1998 film. Uh, the top three movies that year are Godzilla at number three, <laughs> Saving Private Ryan number two, and Armageddon at number one, another wow. Disney movie. A movie which I don't... We need to get you to see. You haven't seen Armageddon. I have not seen Armageddon, no. Uh, Bugs Life is number five, and Mulan came in at number seven then. Oh, interesting. It was nominated for Best Musical Score, but Shakespeare in Love won. And for Best Original Song, it was not nominated, but Prince of Egypt also came out this year, which I also loved as a child. Uh, And Prince of Egypt won for Best Song. When You Believe, I think is the name of the song. I couldn't tell you anything about Prince My feelings are Mulan got robbed in all categories here (laughs) yeah i think mulan's music is amazing but uh yeah the some of the interesting things i found along the way it was the first dvd for disney in 1999 found that kind of fun uh well we're not we're still gonna say the clamshell we talked about that i think in the last episode uh oh and this is where i have kind of the the history the fa is the cantonese pronunciation of mulan's family name and hua is the correct mandarin pronunciation and it means flower is what i found and then hua ping which is her they say her fake name so when she um is impersonating a gentleman uh it means flower vase or just vase while i was reading about this this is what i i read was in china an effeminate man is often called a flower vase or a flower pot and at first i was like 
do we say this? Do we not say this? We always want to bring stuff up, but I think it sparks a larger conversation that Ryan wanted to mention. And Casey, we'd love to get your thoughts on this as well. Well, it's it's something I think that's been coming up a lot is the uh, Disney attempting to uh, have it both ways mm-hmm. yes. with their, their LGBTQ uh, representation and things. Recently, Loki has come out and there was a big thing at first about Loki being coming out as bisexual on the show, but... Uh, in, in seeing things on Twitter from, from you know, I listened to a, a podcast that is uh, five gay men talking about comic culture and that sort of thing. Um, Homo Superior, great, great, uh, great, great title, also great uh, podcast. And th- they've started passing around some stuff about, like, Disney's being like, look, we have this queer representation, but they have it in a way that's easy to edit out because of the Chinese market. Mm-hmm. And that they're hesitant to do yeah. something that is more focused that couldn't be edited out because of the Chinese market. This is a little bit of a stretch getting to this point, but it is something that's yeah. going on right now. And I wanted to bring mm-hmm. up since, um, you know, there's this, there's, there's stuff like that in here. There's also this whole theme throughout Mulan that I think they cut out of the new one where it's like, uh, oh, I don't know his name, but the main love interest. Shang? Shang is, is kind of in a 1998 Disney way, dealing with the fact that he's falling in love with who he thinks is a man. Yep. Or having some sort of feeling. Mm-hmm. And in the new one, they like cut that out completely because it's Oh, like, really? Yeah, there's like, he has like no romantic feelings until he learns Mulan is a woman. Is a woman. Interesting. So I don't know if we want to discuss anything more there or if we want people to kind of like go with them on their own. I think it's an important thing to talk I about. I think this is probably a solid reason why I pick, another reason that this, this, I picked this movie um, when yeah. we were talking about it because, um, you know, it's so interesting because on one hand, Disney gave like a lot of representation. It was 1998 and like there was like, you know, like a, you know, gender fluid person on mm-hmm. like a main character, gender fluid main character. And they like they did it in a way that they could thread the needle and mm-hmm. you can you can take the lens of looking at it as a gender fluid person, which is like arguably that's what Mulan is right and then or you can just take it as like you can kind of ignore that and like oh she did what she had to do for her family and whatever and like kind of like just put the whole like queer aspect of it aside i think that that is especially at the time like was you know the way that they did like everything right like that's kind of how like that disney you know disney and all tv was doing that all mainstream tv was kind of like any way that they were they were kind of like subtly sneaking things in um but, like, it was so much representation. I think that that's kind of what resonated a lot with me, like, watching that movie over the years. Like, you know, the you know the need to fit into a gender stereotype or not. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I think it's, it's interesting, though, because and you wish they could be more explicit about it, right? And you wish you could, like, see that, right? And then, like, yeah, the uh, – um, what is his name? Uh, you just said it. Uh, Shang. Shang. Like, he, he's, like, he's seemingly – bi right i mean like that is like you there's definitely an interpretation of of him being bi right like i mean mm-hmm. yeah and and dealing with those feelings yeah, yeah, yeah. right yeah and yeah I, and i think it is an important conversation something else i read which i found interesting too kind of off of this for the majority of the film we see mulan dressed as a man although in the disney park she's only ever in her outfit as a woman really? That's a not only ever but like I don't want to say only ever because maybe there's an example of it, but all the merchandise she's in, 
she's in her outfit as a woman, like all she's the all, her doll. Yeah, because she's a Disney princess. Yeah. So I would love Disney to like do a walk around character where she is. I, I think it's important. I and yeah, exactly. Like, like, like it could be a really it could yeah. be a really cool thing to do in the parks. And listeners, if maybe it is in the parks and I'm I'm speaking out of turn. But from what I read, they focused on her. You know, we see her much less in the outfits as a woman, a woman versus as a man. And yeah, that's how she's marketed. Um, also, Shang is voiced by B.D. Wong, who is, I, I believe, gay. I, I know he's he's gay. I don't know if he's bisexual or pan or anything. Yeah. Um, but I know because I he has he has at this time he had a male partner. Now it's 1998. So I don't know how like public knowledge that was i'm looking at wikipedia and it's like looking you know with hindsight. the other thing that's so i'm wondering if if his performance informed I, i'm interested to watch and see if his performance you know it's on the page of like because you know uh, someone could write that and have it be like do i like a man like they've done it like that yeah before. and if he kind of took it in a direction that was more exploratory and less mm -hmm. comedic or whatever yeah the other thing about bd wong that i read that i found interesting is his career began uh, with Madame Butterfly as a male dressing and trying to pass as a female. So, so they... I'm willing to believe they knew he was gay when he might have been out at that time. Yeah, oh, and I, I would love to believe, I don't know if that's true or not, mm -hmm. that maybe that's why they cast. I don't know that they thought that much into it. I, I don't know that they did. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to... The executives being like, hey, let's get him because he's in that uh, movie where the man dresses as a woman. He know, him, a nice, straight Christian fellow, knows all about, you know, like... It's yeah, funny. you could see it go the other it's way, funny, too. like, you look at all those women in the Liberace, like, documentary who are like, oh, he's so dreamy. Yes. Like, How do you not know what you're, like, looking at now? I think it's like, that might, might be that situation. Well, you know what's so interesting about it, too, is that, you know... A lot of people get this idea that like queerness is like new and it's very much not new, right? Queerness yes. is very much not new. Both like we queer people have existed and 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 transformed over the years and taken on different, you know, roles within society, you know, to fit, you know, to get by, right? And now we're in this mm -hmm. age that like queerness is like becoming like a little bit more accepted and we're starting to be able to be out and like there's there's so much more like community being able to be formed, but you know, a lot of people think that like it's only like it's like centered, but really like it's around the whole world throughout history, right? Like you find examples of, of I, I, there was a lot of talk about this like on Instagram um, during Pride Month about like different like historical examples of queer people, right? And like this, you know, the ball the ballad of Hua Mulan that this this story is based on is arguably queer representation. It's a gender fluid person in history that then was picked up and used for this, this, um, and I think they did a pretty good job with it, um, you know, picked up and used for this show. But like, that is an example of a gender fluid queer person from a long time ago, or even if it is in a, you know, even if it's all folklore, it's still just like, it's part of their culture. Right. And we think about how all that kind of got chopped away and that was so long ago. And then you think about how much, you know, queer erasure happened between then and now, to get where we are now. Just interesting to think about. Yeah. It is, yeah. And we mentioned that a little bit on the Little Mermaid episode with Hans Christian mm -hmm. Andersen as well, well as being another example. I'm editing the Pocahontas episode right now, and we do talk about that too, about the, you know, Puritan Christian erasure of bisexuality, yes. of gender fluidity within that, and it being viewed as primitive, and mm -hmm. like, well, we need to get rid of that. 
Um, I have another B.D. Wong fact I, fact I want to say right now. Tara is weirdly obsessed with B.D. Wong. I love him. He's in all of the things I love. He's in Law & Order and like all the different ones of all the different versions of Law & Order. Jurassic He's in Park. Jurassic Park. Any, any I did not know he was the voice of Shang until I was a full-grown adult about maybe two hours ago. And so now I'm like super excited. So like I feel like my love for B.D. Wong came from Mulan. I just had no idea. It's, so, it's just funny. Anytime we're watching anything, he pops up. She's like, oh, I always get so excited. I like, love Tara him. Tara doesn't know a lot of actors' names. Like, I don't. Very good going, oh, I know that guy from somewhere. Yeah, but I don't know but that name. Oh, immediately. Yeah, love <laughs> him. Love him, love him, love him. Anyway. I've just got all of my stuff. Sometimes I link them together, but my facts are kind of all over the place. So I'm going to just mention some things, and then I guess we'll just go from there. Uh, but the opening titles, something to kind of look out for, they were put together by simply putting watercolor on rice paper. Mm. So I'm yeah. interested to to look out for that. Can I jump in with that? Because there's a whole yeah. I figured you style. had yeah. stuff with so the art style. They were having a hard time coming up with it, and they were filling the page with a lot of stuff. And they started looking at ancient, not ancient necessarily, but Chinese art, and they actually put all their animators through watercolor classes. Oh, cool! To teach them watercolors, and they came up with this uh, this term that they started to become not just for art, but for the entire like kind of the direct. It was, when we work on a project of video games, sometimes we'll come up with like a series of words or a little phrase that it's like you put up and you're like, this is the goal we're going towards and does it meet this. Mm-hmm. And theirs was called poetic simplicity. So the ideas are like when you look at it, it's supposed to seem very, very simplistic and easy so that the parts they want to push forward come through. The backgrounds mm-hmm. in this aren't super cluttered. They're very uh, simple versions so that the, the characters pop. Yeah. Um, the pieces that they want to focus on, like when they're sitting under, I think like a chair, like some sort of red blossoming tree, like that's pretty in detail, but the stuff around it is very simple. But that became the idea for like telling the story. How much do we use dialogue versus animation? Like the, the word poetic simplicity from the producer, Kim, Pam, Pam Coates. Uh, that was her big like mantra for this. this mm-hmm. movie. And so you see that a lot throughout everything very cool uh i also read if we want to go into the voices a little bit harvey fires firestein. firestein thank you he was reluctant to voice yes yeah 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 david, why did i just send my mother <laughs> to atlanta david <laughs> we just watched independence day uh, so it is it is a tradition in the household uh but he was reluctant to voice a chinese character due to strong feelings about giving more opportunities to asian actors so him, he made it known and we always talk about this as far as representation goes uh in disney films but he was assured that many and this was how they worded it true asians were being cast as main characters so that's why he agreed to play the character. I, I just didn't like that. Ter- I didn't. I don't, I don't either. I think yeah. I, I don't. Saying, li- I get what they're saying, but true yeah, I just wanted to let you know that was how it was worded. Not how me Tara would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so I found that interesting and I didn't know if we wanted to go into who some of the other voices were and kind of give some shout outs there to the cast. Uh, and then also talk about, cause Jackie Chan voices Shang in the, uh, Chinese, Chinese version, version and, and sing. he sings he so he made a music too. video for I'll make a man out of you so I'm leaving that to you Ryan to find that music video to put it on the Facebook page 
Ming Na Wen did the voice of Mulan. Yes. Um, she she's is, stunning. She's so beautiful she's, and talented. But we want to talk about how she's like the trifecta of Disney, huge Disney properties, because she is a Disney princess. Mm-hmm. She is a character on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was the Marvel TV show for a while. Yeah. A, a completely, uh, get ready for the quack, bad <laughs> character. And then um, she has recently been in The Mandalorian. Which is also equally bad. What was she in, who was she in The Mandalorian? Um, are, have you, are you all caught up? Oh, I'm all caught up. Skip ahead a few bits if you want to skip the spoilers. She's the woman who ends up going with Boba Fett to Jabba the Hutt's palace. Oh. Season one, and she was attacking him, and then and then she paired up with Boba Fett for a while. So cool. Uh, she's great, and I love her. Uh, yeah. Also, an interesting fact. So she was not the singing voice. I read that. Yeah. Do you have who the singing yes. voice is? You I didn't write her. it down. Leah Salonga, also the singing voice of Jasmine. Oh my gosh. Which, as soon as I heard that, it becomes very obvious. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Murphy was the voice of Mushu. I want to get back to him in a second. Uh, yeah, I've got some things about that okay, as well. Cool. Uh, Miguel Ferrer is the voice of Shang Yu. Uh, and then we've got just uh, a cavalcade of um, Asian character actors as, as different characters. James Hong is Chai Fu. James Hong, you might remember from Wayne's World 2 or uh, Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> uh, Pat Morita is the emperor. Pat Morita, of course, is, um, oh my God, why can't I remember his name from The Karate Kid? Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi? Yes. Mr. Miyagi. Uh, and George Takei. There's, there's many other actors. Well, three, George Takei is the first ancestor of George Takei. Of course, Sulu from the original Star Trek. Yeah, I would, I think, you know, since we've been... Doing each movie chronologically, I think this is the first time Disney made a real effort to yeah. have representation mm. in their cast. I think so. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, up to this point, we see it a little bit, but maybe with one or two characters. But yeah. this seems to be the first time as a whole that they focused made. on, yeah, that an effort was made, which is exciting to finally start to see that. And of course, Frank Welker is the voice of the horse and the Yes, yeah. This I read that this was one of the last movies he was credited. He goes on to do a lot of uncredited stuff, I think, after this. But this is the last one they credit him. But I'm not sure why. Hmm. I didn't really go into that. I so. don't know that he like he's in so many things. I wonder if he's like as long as the check clears. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to go back to go back to Eddie Murphy. This was his debut as a voice actor. Uh, his only non-DreamWorks because he goes on to be Donkey uh, in Shrek mm. and. Apparently, you know, they were looking for someone kind of like Robin Williams with the genie. And he, I guess at one point, I think they agreed to this, but he asked if he could record the voice in Bubble Hill, which was his mansion in Inglewood, New Jersey. Uh, And I didn't know he lived in New Jersey, so I was super excited about that because two of us are New Jerseyans on this podcast. So uh, the other thing... Is I read that Joe Pesci was originally cast in the role. I don't know how accurate that was, but I came well, across I mean, that. Only going to Jersey, apparently. Apparently, I came. I came across that fact and was like, "Huh, that's interesting." Um, did they have anything about him not wanting to be in promotional material or anything like that? No, I didn't. I didn't read anything about that. He wasn't. In, they didn't have any video of him, and maybe it was because it was they didn't bring a camera to Inglewood or wherever. Yeah, since he if he did it <laughs> yeah. in his house, I didn't see him. He wasn't interviewed. It was interesting. It wasn't any video, but they would just say Eddie Murphy is. I mean, he was a huge name at that time, but this first time of him doing like a voice actor role, yeah. but I don't know why that would make a difference. Um, but so they originally had a song for Moosh 
issue that apparently after Eddie came in, the character changed enough that they were like, this song doesn't work. Mm. So uh, I, there was a uh, making of where they had it, and it also, I they didn't say this, I was saying this, <laughs> it felt a little out of Eddie's range. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> it like, this guy, like, it sounded like, almost like Oogie Boogie singing it. Like, Got it. It was just like really like joyful. Like, yeah, like, yeah. I don't know if Eddie could have pulled this off. Yeah. Especially after, what was the one we watched, Phil on Hercules, where I was like, oof. Oof, I didn't mind it. I love Danny DeVito. So, uh, talking about music, I read that this was one of the last Disney animated movies to contain musical elements until Princess and the Frog in 2009. So it's so crazy because the whole Disney Renaissance, they focus, you know, Howard Ashman comes in, and even a little bit before that, they're focusing on these musical elements, and that's what kind of gets them their success again in this period is Mm -hmm. home on the range has some music but i think they're trying i think but i think what they're saying is that musical the style right and the the beats of like it is a musical versus Mm -hmm. like like just having music in it is is kind of how i took that when i read it uh so that's 11 years until so this is our last our last like big kind of musical focus Disney film until 2009. So wow. I found that, yeah, I found that kind of fascinating. That's weird. Um, and I, I was reading, I think because they were focusing more on like, again, this one, I, I, I didn't write it down. So of course I don't have it in my brain, but you know, action movies and, and like the style well, of film and movies were kind of like... changing in what was popular. And so I think Disney tried to follow that. Yeah. And I think then they realized, took them 11 years, but I think they realized, you know, they need to go back to to their roots and kind of mm-hmm. what they're really good at. Yeah. Like what set them apart from everything to begin with. Um, I have a question about the music on this. Okay. In one of the uh, making ofs I saw, it was weird because they kept acting like they were going to show. Does, does Stevie Wonder have anything to do with the music on this or 98 Degrees? So I don't know either one of them, but it's Christina Aguilera's like debut. She records Reflection and I have a fact on that. Like she records another version of it and they say that like it launched her career. I just But I don't I didn't come across anything. When we come back, we'll talk more about the music and it was like Stevie Wonder playing and then they did it again and it was ninety eight degrees. I'm like do they do like a Peebo Bryson type like re record I don't know. Maybe I don't know. They never went back to that. I was like, yeah. maybe, maybe they cut that part out of the, the, the recording I had, but I just wanted to check. The theme song in the opening credits kind of, this is, I think, my last music thing here, uh, as well as the melody for Honor to Us All. Apparently, it's the same tune that Peter Pan plays on the pan flute in the Disney version of the movie. Do, do, do. Isn't that what it plays? It's like yeah. That. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Honor to Us All. Yeah, maybe it is. I mean, that was a really terrible version you know, of me. Just, just like, like, you can edit that <laughs> out, please. No, it's no, no. Uh, if I start uh, singing, we have to edit all of the singing out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I usually hit it. I didn't hit it there. Uh, Mulan, I, I want to see if Ryan or Casey can guess this. I'm saying Ryan just because we've watched the catalog of Disney movies probably more recently than you have. Uh, she's the second Disney prison, prin- <laughs> second Disney princess to have both parents alive and present during the entire film. Who's the other one up to this point? Both parents 
There's that. only one up to this point, and then there are ones oh, after that. Sleeping Beauty. Yep, because it's Sleeping Lily, Beauty. It's hard to remember because her mom has zero her lines. Her mom has zero <laughs> lines, and like really, you forget <laughs> she's there. But yes. Then the third is Tangled, so it doesn't happen again until 2010. Then in Brave in 2012, and then Moana in 2016. Oh, Moana. So the character designer in this, the character design lead for this project, was uh, Cheng Yi Chang. Who was a Thai, who was a Taiwanese man, or may still be a Taiwanese man. I don't know if he <laughs> I don't know why I did past him. Um, he did a lot of work about the look. Like he did he did he what he almost called an equation where he was like, I want them to all be very different silhouettes. I want I want there to be they all have this kind of S shape he uses a lot, so there's a lot of like characters that kind of look and see if they have kind of I mean an that's Mushu. Mushu is an yeah, exact really, S. Yeah. An S. Yeah. But like everybody else kind of has has curves to him like that. Mm-hmm. But he wanted it to be like you look at her three like uh co workers. I don't know what they're called, her like Harvey Firestein and the two other guys. Yeah, yeah, the the co-soldiers. Yeah, he's like, yeah. they look very different. One short and squat, one is mm-hmm. very round shape. I just thought it was interesting because that's something we, we talk about a lot in video game design. Because mm. There's a lot of, like, the player runs into an area and you want them to be able to, like, identify and make decisions based on a very quick silhouette of someone. Like, I think Halo, Halo was not the first game to do it, but it was, like, really pioneered in there of like everyone looking very different so you go this character does this this character does this got it mm-hmm. um so i thought it was cool that they brought in uh you know like that there wasn't a lot of as far as i could tell they weren't a lot of forward facing in the uh documentaries uh asian representation in the in the crew mm. but this guy came forward and i think that really like you know we talked about in hunchback how all the Romanis were, except for Esmeralda, were very like stereotypical looking. Or yes. Like, were, were not meant to be good looking. And this one, I think there's such a wide range in the looks of the Asian characters that you may not have gotten if you had just Joe Q white guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some other things when it came to the animation that I came across computer animators were, they used the latest tech to add detail and to mimic camera techniques that they previously it was unavailable to animation. And so some of the examples they give is the crowd scenes where there's like up to 30,000 people in those scenes, as well as um, they used a computer program, Attila, am I saying that right? A-T-I-L-L-A. I mean, it must be because that's Attila the Hunt. Oh, yeah. So, so that must be it. Yeah. So they used, I didn't even put that together when I wrote that down. Uh, they used Attila to make the sequence featuring, yeah, it's got to be that, the 2000 Huns on horseback. Yeah. Um, they also used a thing called the faux plane, which was they were taking the multiplane camera from earlier stuff and putting it into a computer. So watch out for that with the parallaxing. So like, mm. there's a lot of like, they would draw things and put them on different because that's what they did with the 3,000 people in in, in, uh, in front of the Emperor, is they put them all on little slats, and they are, are like basically like flat planes and move them around so that it gave it depth. But then they did a thing in the documentary where they went overhead, and it's just all these, like, like just huge area. When you see it, it's just flat. Yeah. It feels like it's got so much depth, because it really does. Interesting. In the computer. But they did a lot of that same thing with the background. So when you're moving through things, it gives that kind of depth. 
So it's something to look for, something we, we haven't, you know, something we saw a lot in uh, Bambi and, you know, some of the... Some of the earlier films. Yeah, kind of CGI. golden age, I feel like, films. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking of that, uh, it took over a year and dozens of people working on the avalanche sequence before it was ready for final production. So I came across this in the villains book that I have. Joseph Gilliard, I don't, again, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, and Garrett Wren... Uh, they both worked on this. They switched from CGI to hand-drawn animation, scene to scene, for close-up sequences that involved the horses. So it allowed them to capture every hoof print in the snow. So they were able to kind of yes, go back and right. forth. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. The other thing I came across was that there were about 700 artists, animators, and technicians who worked on the film total. And that this was uh, only animated in the Florida studio. Yep. So I thought that that was kind of fun because I don't know that we've come across much that's been done in the Florida studio, have we? Well, not fully. I yeah, fully done. It's been a while. Yeah. So that means if you were on that studio tour, you could have seen it when you're in. in oh the yeah, that would have been cool. Uh, I have like one or two more like kind of interesting, fun things. I don't know if you have anything else you want to cover. Uh, B. H. Barry was the martial arts fight advisor. Uh, I thought. He apparently wanted uh, to talk a lot about deflection and fluidity in their fight. So there's not a lot of like, like when, oh, you're giving me a face. Uh, I'm confused because I have two different other people as martial artists that were. H. Barry? No. Uh, but they, I have, uh, sorry, continue your facts and then I'll share mine. It was just, he wanted, he talked a lot about deflection and like moving away from the, you know, the, you know. Moving away from the punch and then countering mm. the fluidity in the fight, and he wanted he talked a lot about beauty in martial arts. He might not be the only martial artist. He was not uh, apparently. <laughs> apparently, real life martial artists Mimi Chang and George Key did martial arts fights and choreography for Mulan and Shang. That's interesting. That's what I read. I don't know because I it, he he was like this old stuffy British man, and I was like, how do you have a martial arts expert in a movie an asian movie like this and you're not hiring an actual asian martial arts person but apparently they they did and, and then they so just didn't do it in the show it in the documentary well, i don't know the other thing. i talked a lot about this documentary like you know for pocahontas they had the actress who played pocahontas they have ming now win in this a little bit but the the main host is this like game show host <laughs> and, it, and he is just like hi i'm here to talk to you about mulan and then he's like, the martial arts in Mulan, and they're like on this obvious set with like smoke blowing in, and these two Asian oh martial my artists gosh. in the background. While he's like, the martial arts, and I'm like, are they going to turn around and be like, yeah, we we worked on it? No, they're just decoration. And it, the, there's two making ofs I saw. One of them was a lot more seemed like it was a newer like mm -hmm. examination, and the one that was like shown on Disney Channel, I was like, boo. Yeah. There's a section of it where they just go. You know, one woman who was uh, has shares a lot of similarities with our character Mulan just won a medal at the Olympics. That's right, Michelle Kwan, and then they just talk about Michelle Kwan for five minutes. <laughs> I mean, Michelle like, Kwan's amazing. I love her, but right. yeah. <laughs> she fair, other than like, she's Asian too. Like that's the only connection they make, and then she goes. Oh, the story of Mulan sounds like something I could relate to. Like I'm like, this is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I have that something to look out for. Mulan writes with her left hand, but holds a sword with her right. Is that a fact that no, you had? Like, I know, a left-handed, yeah. Ambidextrous um, queen. Yeah, 
So they, they talk Gender about fluid. how... fluid. She's Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they talk about how, like, it could very much be she's ambidextrous. And then the other thing they mention is that in Chinese martial arts, typically you're taught right-handed. So it could... But either way, she's yeah. still ambidextrous because she's able to do right-handed and left-handed things. So found that really cool. So, yeah, she is a fierce queen, I'm going to say, instead of princess. I, yeah. Well, <laughs> she's let me, great. Let me jump in then with something. There was a lot of stuff about how they really wanted to inject humor into her and have her be like dif- uh, different from the other queen the other queens mm. the other <laughs> princesses um she started off their first run of the story she started off as very unhappy in the she first was, kind yeah, of run yeah she was stuck in her her way it was basically like she wanted to to fight in the army she wanted to do all this stuff but she, it was like so societal pressures were keeping her from doing I read that that came off selfish. That's what they yeah. said. Like when we got to it, it, came, it wasn't that it was selfish. It was just like her her struggle was very much just about her. And, yeah. And everyone was like, we don't really like this character. And then mm-hmm. it became, she loves her family so much. And it's like, talks about. And they still mention the societal pressure. Yeah, like we go into, there. yeah, it's still very much present. But I think they did a much better job yeah, in this next rendition of it. Mm-hmm. They talk about um, if you watch her make decisions, like when she goes off, you know, it, it's, she just makes these decisions and does it. Like she, she thinks about them, but like. There's no, like, hemming and hawing about stuff. Like, when she fires off the cannon into the avalanche and all Mm -hmm. this stuff, it's like, she's just like, I need to do this. And she's very decisive. It's just, like, people don't expect that from her. And they said it made her a much, much, like, more relatable character. They made her, like, she's one of the first Disney princesses that, like, wakes up and is like, oh, I'm late, you know, and stuff like that. Like, they're like, we wanted her to feel like the audience. Yeah, she's not put together, like, thing, like, yeah, she feels like that could be any one of our days, well, it's like all <laughs> in a sense. Well, where it's like when Cinderella wakes up, she's like, ah, and the, 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 the birds are around Are her, chirping, and, like, and yeah. Anna from Frozen is, it's like, a princess, and then me. But yeah, Casey, uh, uh, I know we kind of like run through a whole bunch of facts here at the beginning. Is there anything else? I learned a lot that? during all of that. Yeah, I, I was like, great, this is awesome. <laughs> I learned so much. Um, yeah. What we were just talking about that I thought was interesting, though, is that like she's a Disney princess, like in the way that they like characterized her and like marketed her in the Disney ecosystem. But I. Right. To me, I don't necessarily know that I feel like Mulan is a Disney princess. I mean, I get why she falls in the category, but, like, to me, like, there's just, like, she sets apart so differently from the rest, in my opinion. Like, I think she's, like, in the way that you're saying, like, she's not necessarily, like, the most, like, put together and da-da-da-da-da, like, ways. And then also, like, she kind of, like, branches out of, like, what the princess is tend to do. and, and Or I guess not necessarily what the princesses tend to do, but I guess the how... They do it. So I don't know. I just think, yeah. I, th- I think in my, in my perspective, like she's very like outside of the princess. Well, I, it's interesting. I think up till this point, you're correct. But I think we start seeing from her, she it leads the way for Merida and Brave. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh my God, I can't remember her name, but the princess from the princess and the frog, who's like, Tiana. Yeah. Tiana, like her, her motivation is like to be independent and run a business. Like you're not just like, a prince will take me away. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it's, right. it's all that. I think the, or you're the not born, you're born into, um, you've got everything, right? Like, Sleeping Beauty, granted, she doesn't know it, is, but she's born into, like, this very rich, like, environment in this giant castle. 
Uh, yeah, so we start to see a little bit more diversity there. But yeah, I think Mulan branches, like divides that and branches it off yeah. to make way for these other princesses Is later Mulan on. the f- first, and I'm probably wrong about this, I'm sure there's something else, but she doesn't have a hero. She's her own hero. Like, there's no hero in her. And I'm trying to think of what other ones really, there's no other hero besides them. Well, what do you mean? I mean, Shang's also a hero, but I think she saves the day, whereas, like, Shang's the thing up to this. It's not like Aladdin is, like, running around with Jasmine. Like, she, like, Mulan gets to be the star hero and the. Right. Well, like, the Little Mermaid, I, I, my big thing was. Oh, Eric saves the day at the end. But she like, does. She has much so much different. agency up until agency that up point. point. Yeah. Yes. Saves the day. I don't know yeah. that we have had a princess that. Like, I'd have to like look back yeah. at the list to I, uh, remember, but listen, yeah. I'm sure. We'll, but I'm sure. I mean, no. Belle does. Belle comes up and like says, "I love you," but she's like kind of side line during. But it's also Beauty and the Beast. I, well, listen. Write in, listeners. You know the number, 707-EOTRPD1. Call us. Let us know what you think. Yeah, tell us you uh, have a bone to pick if yeah, we got absolutely. it wrong. Uh, <laughs> I kind of stand by, I feel like Mulan's the first one that was like I think you hero. are, yeah. yeah, yeah I, I, I think you are. It's has... more of us just kind of like thinking back through what we've just recorded. But yeah. Yeah, uh, I, think, I think you're right. I think she's, she's the first one to actually save the day at the end. Yeah. And so. to be the main focus without... Like someone else yeah, being Shane, in there, Shane yeah. Is definitely, like I, I think I've called him Shane a few times. Like, <laughs> uh, but Shane is like the B character, whereas and he's not. He's not the objective. If anything, though. she saves him. To let's if we're. I mean, I, I I have a feeling by the end of this, we're really gonna think that that's the way this I, goes. I've got yeah. An interesting fact when we come back about how she saves the day, and we'll we'll talk about that in a bit. Ooh. If, if, if do we feel good with where we are? Are you ready to watch this movie? Yes, very, I'm so excited. I'm ready to watch this movie. Let's watch it. Well, it Let's do it. To take the VHS out of the clamshell and stick it in the VCR. We'll see you on the other side, listeners. And we are back. And I will say... It was just as good as I remember it. Granted, I've seen it probably the most recently out of the three of us, but it was so good. I still laughed. I still cried. I loved it. It's definitely, I think, we've kind of hit this kind of, I don't want to say B rank, because it's like the end of the Renaissance, right? Yeah, and technically we've, we've ended the Renaissance, but... Hunchback and Hercules, and we've, we recorded Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Which I Tarzan, Tarzan is what ends the Renaissance. But this one is probably my favorite of those four. Mm-hmm. I like Tarzan a lot. You like Hunchback a lot, too. I like them all better than I thought I would. Yeah. This one, like, really hit on, like, every cylinder, except for one thing, and we'll get into that one thing we all kind of went, huh, at At the end. Yeah. Um, Casey, what'd you think? I loved it. I mean, it was as good as I remembered it. It was all the things that I I remembered of the movie, and it's kind of nice to have not seen it in a while, and then be able to watch it again, and, like, pick up on all all the stuff that I didn't remember, and then, like, the themes were, like, even more relevant and like present than I even remembered them being throughout. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they resonate. Yeah. I think it's aged well and I think it continues to resonate. Um, Not only, you know, I think depending, I I think no matter what your background is, I think you can connect to this film in lots of different ways. Um, I do think you, you are, you said all the things you remember. Uh, I think we all forgot the part except Tara. 
when oh. we see the destroyed Chinese army and me and Casey were like, whoa! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, guys, this is, it gets dark here. <laughs> um, let, do we just want to dive in? I think yeah, so. I, so as always, I kind of take notes throughout the film and so we can kind of just go from there and obviously feel free to chime in with anything you thought um, with it along the way. Let's do it. Come on, Tara. Let's, let's get through it quick. <laughs> All right. Why are you pressuring me? I'm not pressuring you. I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to get you in the mood to like, come on, let's, let's do this. I wrote down a million things, Tara. So take your time, Good. Tara. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that someone else took notes and you can't force perfection. Okay. <laughs> you got to just let it go. It's course. Uh, so the opening I thought was, (laughs) the opening I thought was really simple, but really beautiful with the, the painting Mm -hmm. on on the rice paper and the title comes pretty quickly. It says Mulan, like it's pretty quick. And we are always kind of catching how they do opening sequences with each one of these films. And it pans over the great wall of China and you see the Falcon, you hear the Falcon screech and the Falcon has a name. I just can't remember what the Falcon's name is. I don't think they say it in the film, but he does have a name. I just don't remember what it is. Uh, And you see as the Huns attack. So it's very intense from the start. Like we get introduced to Shan Yu. Shan Yu. I think that's correct. We get introduced to him very quickly. It's the first opening scene of the movie. We see him right away. And something I read about him, he has yellow eyes throughout the whole film. And they focus in on his eyes quite a bit. Apparently in one rendition of this film, he could communicate with the Falcon. So that was why the yellow eyes. The Falcon has yellow eyes. He has yellow eyes. So I don't know if it was a thing where like he could transform into the Falcon or if he could just like... The Falcon could go scout and he'd communicate with the Falcon. Mm. I think it was something like that. And they took that out, but they left him with that color. The Falcon's name is Hayabusa. Thank you. H-A-Y-A-B-U-S-A. Yeah, I don't... No no, no knowledge of that from watching the movie. No, no, but when I was doing my research, I came across his name. I just couldn't remember it. A foreboding predator with a hatred for China... Did you get the indication that the Falcon hated <laughs> No, I feel like the Falcon was just like an extension of, I mean, I guess Shan Yu hated China, like but. A editorializing. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. Did Yeah. I, I, I don't know if this is against the rules of the podcast, but did you see the other Mulan movie, the new live action one? Have you seen that yet? We, we have yet. not We're yet, but it's, going, yeah. Like okay. Did you, have you seen it? Yes. And I will say the Falcon is the, the. A very big difference in this. The Falcon is like a whole character in that movie, like a whole. Isn't it like a witch. Yes, she like yeah. morphs into like this like beautiful woman, and then she goes back to being a falcon, and she's like a witch situation. Yeah, I, I, I had heard. All what of were that. your brief thoughts? I mean, without spoilers, just because we haven't seen it, so we don't know a lot of the differences. But did you enjoy it? So I saw that real. I saw that really recently on a flight. Actually, it was like the only movie I could watch on the flight. So I was like, "This is what we're doing." And uh, I saw, and I um, I liked it. It wasn't. It was disappointing because I loved the cartoon nineteen ninety eight Mulan that yeah. like, we all love so much. But um, it was fine. It was a fine movie. I think. I don't think it really like, you know, was fantastic though. I, and it definitely didn't hit. I don't feel like it was as like cohesive of a movie as this was. I know we're gonna have a lot to say about that because of a lot of the political stuff. We're avoiding that in this one because I think we'll talk about it more in the yeah. So we meet the emperor next, and basically we find out that you know the Huns are attacking, and so he asks that one male from every household 
fight in the army, in the Chinese army. And this is when the emperor says a single grain of rice can tip the scale. And then it cuts to Mulan, who is basically shoving her face full of rice because she's late and she's eating and she's waking up. She's got to do chores and all this. And I very much feel like Mulan most mornings. I feel like I'm always (laughs) running late. I'm always like getting ready as quick as possible to get out the door. But her dog little brother helps with the chores. And we all had such a hearty, like, big laugh when she ties the grain for the chickens to little brother and then puts a bone in front of him, like, on a stick. So he'll chase the bone and, like, let the grain out for the chickens. And her father is praying to the ancestors that Mulan will do well at the matchmaker. And then all of a sudden, little brother runs in and all the chickens and all the grain. It's just like this perfect moment of chaos of like you understand why her father is praying to the ancestors. You find out very quickly she's clumsy. You know, she means well, like she comes to bring him tea and she breaks a cup and she's like, I brought an extra. So it's obviously she breaks many cups in that household. Yes, I think you can connect with her pretty early on and we get to know, we get a sense of who she is very quickly. I feel like that's becoming like a modern Disney shorthand, like how to connect to a character, make them clumsy and want to sleep in. Like, (laughs) the audience is like, yes. Yes, this is me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But then we cut to grandma and they're waiting for Mulan at the matchmaker. She's late. And they're waiting for her and grandma is trying to prove that the cricket's lucky. And crickets are, I read, crickets are a symbol of luck in Chinese culture. Uh, So she has this cricket and she just covers her eyes and walks into the street and causes all of this like pile up and destruction. But she survives. So (laughs) she's deeming the cricket to be very lucky at this point. Huge logical fallacy there. (laughs) Nothing bad happened. Therefore... Exactly, yeah. And the cricket, meanwhile, is trembling. Like, they cut to the cricket, and the cricket's like, what are you doing? Uh, So as they're meeting the matchmaker, uh, you know, we see her honor to us all is the song, and it's kind of this montage of her getting ready, the other women getting ready to go meet the matchmaker. And uh, when she goes in, and it's her turn, basically everything goes wrong. The cricket winds up getting loose, and she's trying to, like, hide the cricket. At one point, it goes in her mouth. Uh, and then the matchmaker, uh, like, like, she puts it in her mouth. Yeah, she puts it in. She puts it in her mouth so it's hidden, so the matchmaker doesn't see it. And then, of course, the matchmaker asks her a question, and then she's cheating. She's got notes on her arm, and we know that early on. We see her do that. Her mom picks up on it, uh, and I find it interesting that they didn't really wash off when she got bathed, but then the matchmaker touched them, and then all the ink came off on her hand. <laughs> Maybe it just was wet, and so I don't know. But well, yeah, like she drew like a she drew like a perfect beard. goatee yes. on her. Yeah. Perfect yeah. goatee because of the ink. So the matchmaker basically everything goes awry. She winds up getting set on fire. Mulan tries to put the fire out. It gets worse. Her make now at this point the matchmaker's makeup's all running. She's shouting at her. She's like screaming. She goes out. Mulan goes to try to put the fire out with tea, and she throws the tea in the matchmaker's face. Mm. So it's like this whole big thing. And the matchmaker it... is portrayed by Miriam Margolis, who was uh, Professor Sprout in the Harry Potter series. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. So everything gets worse, and basically the matchmaker shouts in front oh. of the whole... Sorry. Also also a gay uh, uh, actress in this movie. I oh. She is... <laughs> Points. There's a lot of... 
great she representation totally here. An- yeah. Another example of people bend. It was really, I thought it was very interesting that the matchmaker was like such, it's like seemingly almost like a, like very like butch person. I thought it was very interesting. She, that, like, yeah. She was, like, she was a very butch person trying to like make these women mm-hmm. into very desirable right. I thought it was uh, very interesting that she men. was like interrogating, interrogating their femininity as like, and she did not present very feminine to me at all. At all, that. no, yeah, I would agree with she that. She also made a comment about Mulan being too thin because of, she didn't have uh, childbearing hips. Oh yes, I don't know why. Like that's shorthand to make me not like someone if they comment yeah. on a woman's childbearing. Yeah, <laughs> Like, it, it hits me multiple ways. I don't know. I'm like, ooh, bad, bad. This is a bad person. I don't like them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, basically, she shouts to the whole village, uh, you know, you're never going to bring your family honor. So, she, again, has kind of disgraced her family in this way. And then she sings the song Reflection. And both Casey and I, like, were basically, like, every single word of this song uh, is kind of feeding into what we were talking about in the first half of this podcast. But I wrote down just some of the lyrics. But, you know, I'll never pass for the perfect bride or daughter, not the part I'm supposed to play. I cannot hide who I am. I just feel like there's so much that you could, like, through those lyrics that that you could read into into the kind of the themes of this film. And, Casey, I don't know what you thought when you heard it. I, I think that it, it it's interesting because what I kept thinking about is how like the evolution of that theme can be interpreted many different ways, right? On one hand, it could be yes. like a, a young woman who's not fitting in with the expectations of society around femininity for her. On another hand, it could be like, you know, a, a an allegory to her potentially being trans or, you know, gender fluidity. And there was something that really struck me um when she like was looking in the reflection and she wiped off half the makeup and she had like half the makeup off her face and half the makeup on her face. And like, it wasn't like one looked bad and one looked good. It was like, they were both like two halves of the same coin kind of. And it was like, Mm -hmm. it made me think a lot about like the like fluidity of a person, right? Like she can actually exist in both of those roles and when allowed to, she can thrive in both of those roles. That's how kind of was my, what I was thinking. Cause I I never felt like she was bad at being, feminine i just think she was like klutzy and awkward and wasn't like yeah and i think she felt like she didn't belong in that role Mm -hmm. but i think if she could become comfortable in that role like if she could feel comfortable she like you said she could thrive in in either one of those scenarios yeah i I just think it's interesting because i feel like a lot of the uh bad argument against uh writing these stories for uh like with with queer quote-unquote themes is like it doesn't appeal to like a mass market. It's like you're an idiot. Like this is a like this is a story that appeals to a mass market. Like, but it is definitely very much you know a theme that that fits to this quote unquote other community. Like you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Like it's 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 just a silly argument to me to be had that there's nothing. Oh yeah. Well, and also as we mentioned earlier, you know. It's not something that's new. It's something that yeah. like. People have been and exist and have lived, and it's just how much it is more present and visible, right? And I hope I'm saying that the right way. No, I think you're right, and I think that it's there was a really big like marketability situation here. It was like it was you can it's very clear, especially watching it this time, that like the writers and the the writers specifically the writers like they, they there are very explicit references to like 
her gender fluidity in there that's much more beyond just like, oh, I'm going to put on boy clothes and go fight in the army. Like they made it very like clearly like they were aware of it and they like lean, they leaned into it very obviously. But what I find interesting is like the marketability of it. They did it so quietly. It was like so like under, it was never like explicit. There were like a couple little lines in there that were explicit. Like at one point, um, Mushu said, uh, you know, Miss Man decided to go take her little drag show on the road. Like that is very like yeah. on the nose. Like, like it was there. You know what I mean? Like so clearly, the writers were like aware of what they were doing when they did it, and it's like very interesting because it was like such a powerful piece of representative work for the queer community. But then also it wasn't right. So like little kids seeing that like got this glimpse into like another way to be. But then also it was not explicit and it did, it kind of, you know, it could be seen as having done damage on the, on the flip side. So it's interesting. I, it it is also, this is getting ahead, but to me, the, the, uh, arc of her three friends was an interesting one to go through the lens of like how they viewed women and how, like how they were portrayed in a way that was like, well, and how, and again, I don't want to say this because I'm not of Chinese descent, but of how we kind of see how women are viewed through the lens of many different people in right. in China in well, this in film. And yeah, if yeah, if you want to get very specific, but still, and I I think there's something to be said there too. Well, well, my bigger thing is also those three are portrayed in this. They have this like weird um, arc of like coming in touch with their own like feminine side in a way and all this because they start off and they're like i'm gonna beat you up and every time yeah you me, i'm gonna punch you and then they're all like hugging at the end yeah naked, and they're all kind of like there's no like weird like oh i don't want to see another naked guy which believe me as someone who you know uh, had to take showers in gym class in texas in the 90s like <laughs> there's a lot of like don't look at him or you, you know what that means if you like look at another guy in the shower but, like, these guys were all very comfortable with that. And just like, hey, Ping, how's it going, blah, blah, blah. Like, the one guy had such a bad bubble of, like, personal space. Yeah. Like, but didn't seem, like, aggressive. He's like, hey, just, like, coming over. Yeah. And then by the end, they're all, like, we're, like, we're going to put you guys in, in drag. And they're all, like, <laughs> great, let's do this. Right. Like, yeah. It was just an interesting journey seeing those guys. And, like, I, I don't know. I just thought, I thought it was interesting to watch them through that. Yeah, one. no, that's a great point. I think that they were, um, to your point about their, like, kind of misogynistic tendencies at the beginning, though, like, I thought, like, they were the moment that this, they were the one of the moments in the movie that felt very Americanized to me, whereas, like, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure more of it than I even really realized was, but they were, like, very, like, I'm gonna give you a knuckle sandwich, like, I felt like I was, like, hanging out with my friends on Staten Island for a minute, you know what I mean, like, I was, like, yeah. It is portrayed by a, a New York Jewish man. So that is, right. yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. But that, but, but it, it, it's kind of my point though is that like they, it, it, uh, it, that, like the misogyny kind of like arcs over all of it. But they were kind of used as a tool to like move, like show people yeah, move yeah. along in the story. We, we've we've jumped off. the Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, that's we're, fine. No, no I think sorry, it's. No, I thought that was a very good conversation. Yeah. Now, if you. Told, uh, matchmaker. That's All right, yeah, we'll swing up. back, swing, jump back into it here. So we come back to her village, and this is when, I can't remember that guy's name, the Council of the Emperor. Yeah, I was thinking, I couldn't figure his name Something out. Something Chi, I think. It's, it's, I think it's James Hong is the name of the, do you guys know who this guy is? Have either of you seen Wayne's World 2? No. Um, 
Oh, uh, well, he's the voice of the goose dad in Kung Fu Panda. Do you remember he's adopted by a goose? I've never seen that movie. What? Kung Fu Panda's great. We need to watch Kung Fu Panda. But he's he's a very prolific, like, uh, Asian-American uh, character actor. Oh, okay. In a bazillion things. What is his name in Mulan? Uh, I'm looking that up. His name Okay, is... sorry. I just felt like you were, like, going down the rabbit hole of what he's been in, and I, I like was like... He's, he's great. Uh, Shifu. <laughs> Chifu, okay. He's in Kung Fu Panda, Big Trouble in Little China, Blade Runner, uh, a version of Batman. Like, it just his his like it's like, yeah. And he is he has been working for for so long. He was born in 1929, which shows you how oh, wow. working since like the 70s or 80s that I know about. Yeah. So Chifu comes in and he says, you know, one man from every family must serve. And he starts calling out families and giving them the scrolls that are basically from the emperor. And we've, it's already been kind of told to us that her father is not doing well. She mentions the doctor said you need to drink three tea time, three times a day and he's got a crutch. So we know something has happened to her father. And so when they call her family name, he gives the crutch to his wife and just stands tall and proud and goes and, and gets it, uh, gets the scroll. And he says he's ready to serve. And then Mulan runs out and speaks up. And this is when she's told, hold your tongue in a man's presence. So yeah, that's the he, first of many instances. He, he sucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just going to say, this actor, uh, interesting fact, he played uh, Agent May's father in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent May, of course, played by Ming-Na Oh, that's a fun connection. Uh, Casey, what were you going to say about him? Yeah, no, I thought he was really interesting to me. Like the moment he hopped up on there, he definitely hit that like villain. Although he wasn't like the villain, he definitely like played a role of like kind of like the bad guy or like the not the I guess not the bad guy, but like uh, antagonist to Mulan. Right. And I thought it was interesting because he he was like very effeminate and like gangly and stuff. And like that's like a whole trope throughout a lot of Disney movies that like the idea that like villains often take on that like effeminate man like thing and like, they take on a lot of like queer tropes i thought that was it was the first thing i thought like watching his like just his like mannerisms when he moved and he was like very like cowardly mm-hmm. at times and like all those things i was like huh very interesting well and they... even the way he was dressed like yeah. he was very he yeah he dressed very well to do but even more so like he has that one outfit with a fur collar right and yeah a fur well, hood and everything he's also the uh like other than Mulan, who's trying to hide her uh, sex from everybody. Yeah, and, um, he's trying to hide his just, competence. I don't think he's very no, 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 competent, no. but in the, the bathing scene. He's oh the one yes, who, like, his bathing suit is high up over his. Yes, like, he's very modest. He's very like, like he looks like he's I, he's going to the bath, and they're trying to simulate like what a woman looks like going into the shower or whatever. Right. So there's that. Yeah. Good point. Uh, so Mulan tries to speak up. He basically is like, you've brought dishonor. Father like calls her out in front of the village. Like you've brought dishonor to us. You need to be quiet. And then, uh, Mulan observes her dad taking down his armor, practicing with his sword. And it's clear he can't, he can't fight. It's clear that if he goes, he's going to die. Uh, because he can't really hold the sword and do what he used to do. And Casey mentioned this at one point, and you do see this throughout. There's a lot of storytelling through silhouettes. Mm-hmm. Like when we see him fall, it's like the silhouette of his shadow. When him and her mother like 
the the dad and the mom are talking and it's clear like the mom is not happy that he's leaving in the morning like that's done through a silhouette even Mushu when we first meet him he's trying to be much more imposing in kind of this shadow and this silhouette I love that too uh but they're all at dinner it's grandma mom and dad and Mulan and no one's speaking and then finally again Mulan speaks up and this is when she gets into a fight with her father and he's basically like, you need to know your like you need to know your place and you need to stop this. Like this is what's mm-hmm. happening. Well, he says, I know my place. Yes, and you he need he doesn't like say know your place. Like he's not like Yeah, no, I but make sure he doesn't come off as like he's not part of the He's a very caring father to her, but I think at this point he's finally like you need to figure it out because like I'm I'm going off to war and like all of this has happened and you've brought us dishonor. And, you know, earlier before reflection, he talks to her about the the uh, the blossoms, about how sometimes the blossoms that are late to bloom are the most beautiful as of all. So I think he does understand her. But I think yeah. at that moment, he's just kind of like there's a lot going on. There's a thing, though, for parents, right? Like you think about how parents, um, you know, there's the expectations of, like, what a, your child's supposed to do and how they're supposed to be and all these things, but then you love them anyway, right? And, like, I feel like yeah. I'm going to just keep going back to this because this is, like, the whole reason that I really uh, assimilate. I ever feel, like, something about this movie. But, like, but you know, when I came out to my dad, it was a really long period of time that, like, he was, like, he was fine with it. But it was, like, what his friends thought and what other people thought and what the expectations yeah, yeah. were versus, like, the reality for me for him yeah and the relationship for you two versus the relationship that others saw right of you two so yeah. I, I, it never struck me that the dad in mulan was like actually cared about mulan getting matched or actually cared about mulan doing anything he just cared about like the way that mulan was being perceived by society and wanted her to be able to fit in and live a happy life that way Yeah, and I think the honor piece comes into it, too. You know, he can't control if everyone in the village all of a sudden thinks that she's brought dishonor, right? Right. Like, that's something that I feel like he's he's trying to deal with there, too, for sure. But, yeah, I think he's a very caring father. I think he shows that. Uh, But uh, I know we'll get there. Uh, but it's, there's a storm, it's raining, Mulan goes to the ancestors, she kind of lights this incense at the ancestors, and then we see her cut her hair, she steals her father's armor, and at first she scares her horse, like her horse doesn't recognize her, so I think that that is... Oh, I didn't... That's yeah, well. I thought it was a horse being, like... I just thought, I just thought they were trying to make the, the make the point that, like, she's convincing... That's exactly I what know. I thought too. Yeah, it was like it was that she like even tricked her horse. Like yeah, 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 yeah. So um, she leaves, and then the grandma like kind of wakes up when the ancestors kind of come awake. Like everything gets like lit in uh, the I don't know. Is it a shrine? Is it a temple? What do you call that? Oh, they talked about this. I I, I think it's 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 a temple. Okay. They talked about how like they saw one of these in China. They did a big trip where they took like. 9,000 plus photos and like 24 hours of video footage and they were there for like three weeks and they found that and they, that that idea for that came from that trip of having like they're like it was a temple but it also looked like gravestones mm. and that whole like honoring the ancestors yeah I, I didn't do a good job of writing everything down but like I do remember they they made a big point of that that was one thing that the other thing was the moon doors apparently were a big thing do you know the the round doors they went in to go to the, the garden oh yeah they talked about the design for that and how those are specifically designed so it's supposed to be like only one person can go in at a time. 
Oh, the, the interesting. Idea is, is to create like reflection, like you're in the garden by yourself. It's to to, to convince you to go in by yourself and have some self reflection. Like mm-hmm. that's part of where the like uh, poetic peacefulness came from that they were talking about. Yeah. So I just thought it was I think they did a good job with all of that. Yeah. Uh, so when grandma wakes up, she then wakes up her parents and they all realize Mulan's gone. And the mom basically tells the dad, like, you have to go get her. And he's like, no, if I reveal her, she's dead. Like, she's on her own now. Like, she's got to make it through this because there's really no other option. Uh, so we know that the stakes are pretty high for her at this point. And so grandma prays to the ancestors and asks, you know, hear our prayer, watch over Mulan. And then this is where we meet all the ancestors and we find out that Mushu used to be a guardian but uh, has been demoted and now he just rings the gong to wake up the ancestors I remember when I was a kid I remember really liking the ancestors and now they're kind of like they're a little bit dated which is weird because they're supposed to be ancestors because they feel modern to 1990 yes yeah because they make some jokes well there's what is that what is that painting with the farmers with American the pitch, yeah, two of them look like that and say really? she's gonna lose they're the farm. Like, oh, so, yeah, she's gonna lose the yeah. Home. There were so many quotes fit. in that scene that just jarred me. Like, everything else so far in the movie, I was like, This is, I remember this, this is, this is all tracking. Yeah. And I did not remember that scene at all. There were a couple of quotes in that scene that I was like, Whoa, like they, like they were being so, like they were intent, they were making humor, but they made a couple of things. Like they were like, oh, like because she's leaving, and they said uh, traditional values will be disintegrated. Yeah. And they also mentioned about how when they were blaming like who Mulan mm-hmm. gets her traits from, they talk about someone's ancestor being a cross dresser. Yep. No, so so they that, were talking about her. They said, at least my do- my granddaughter isn't a cross dresser. Oh, I thought it oh. was her because they were first blaming her. And then, she, like, she was saying, your, it's your direct descendant, and she was... Oh, I thought they were saying another direct descendant. I thought they said well. another direct descendant did. Yeah. I thought, that's what I thought they said, too. I should have wrote it down. But mm. I did... Okay. Well, I did write down, though, that apparently this film almost got a PG rating because of that phrase, which is weird and crazy to me. Insane that's to me. Just, that's yeah, just that's, 1998. Or, no, that's well, just... that's MPAA. That, oh, okay. Yeah, right. That's... Uh, American Christian standard. Got it. Like, yeah. That the it didn't, but yeah. Right. But yeah, I agree that there were there were some lines in there. But the one that I did think was funny is when they said to Mushu, you had your chance to protect someone and look at what happened to him. And they cut to one of the ancestors and he's holding his head in his hand. <laughs> like, yeah, like that was, that was the one that I thought was kind of funny. We, that's how a very quick way we find out why Mushu was demoted, essentially. So he's supposed to awaken the great stone dragon who's going to go... uh, I don't think it's protect Mulan. I think the dragon's supposed to bring her back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think think they... Mushu eventually wants her to stay in the army because... If she comes back as a decorated war hero, he'll he'll be in good favor. Yeah, Yeah, with the ancestors. So he goes to wake up the statue, and essentially he crumbles the statue. He hits it with the (laughs) gong, and like the ear breaks, and then the whole thing shatters and crumbles. So then he's lifting up the giant stone head, talking to the ancestors like he's the dragon. And so then the cricket winds up meeting up with him, and then they kind of go off to find Mulan. 
And then it cuts to the Huns attacking and riding. And the, I wrote the music was really good here. It was instrumental, but I really liked the it a lot. The score is by Jerry Goldsmith, who's done a lot of other yeah. films, like non-Disney films. Well, and it was nominated for the score. It did not win, but it was nominated. It was really good. Uh, and they capture two messengers, I guess, from the Imperial Army. Or spies. Or spies or something like that. And they basically send a message back to the Emperor through them. And then uh, Shan, Shan Yu? I think so. Okay. I keep, like, second-guessing his name. He says, how many... Two of them run off and he goes... How, how many, many men does it take to deliver a message? And this right. is this uh, archer, like... Readies his bones. And he says one. And, and then, then it cuts. cuts. I was expecting so during, dark. during the dark cut for you to hear like, like an arrow. Yeah, yeah. Or somebody dropping. But right. yeah, that doesn't happen, which is good. But uh, yeah, it's still dark. Then Mushu, this is where he presents like he's this gospel pastor. He like is all his silhouette, make him much bigger. You've got the cricket like trying to do the fire. So he yeah. looks like he's this all powerful um guardian from the ancestors and then she, it, he reveals himself and she realizes he's super tiny and she's kind of shocked that that's who the ancestors sent uh but he encourages her to go in and meet the soldiers and tries to get her to act like a man quote unquote and mm-hmm. is trying to have her mirror what they're doing like oh, the punch them in the like shoulder slap them on their, their butt and yeah um I just want to put out there, I don't know, this is a big thing I think in the 80s and 90s, probably because of football. Don't don't pat a guy on the butt. I just don't think, don't slap anybody on the butt. Like, no matter who, like. No butt slaps. Unless you, like, really know that person well. Yeah. You pat me on the butt. Exactly. Of course. But, yeah, so she's she's trying to fit in, and it's clear she she's very nervous. She doesn't really know what to do. Or what to say, and she's very awkward in this situation as well. And uh, they all start fighting. Essentially, like, what does she do? She offends. She offends. She, what's his name? She, goes, she punches him too hard, and he's like gonna punch him back. And she oh, she slaps him in the butt. That's what it is. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and then she walks away, and Mushu says, "Like, who are you calling a chicken? You limp noodle." Oh, that's uh, right. Fight breaks out, and then like everybody fights. And everybody fights. Over the rice. Yeah, and then it cuts to uh, we meet Shang. So while they're fighting, we meet Shang, and we find out he's being promoted to captain, and we find out that it's his dead. father who's promoting him, and that um, he needs to stay and train these soldiers, and when they're ready, they can come join them in the fight, and. The Emperor's Council, I already forgot his name. I should have wrote it down. But he stays behind with Shang to basically make sure that everything's going to plan and he's going to write up this report. And it's very clear that he thinks Shang only got promoted to captain because it's his father. And he makes a comment that's like, you know, I got my job on my own, so I'll be watching you. And then they... Chi Fu. And then they open the, the curtains... Th- it's not curtains, but they open like their tent, the tent, flap. the tent flap. And then they see everyone fighting. The rice is everywhere. And so Shang says, you can have Ping to thank for it. Oh, and that's the other thing when she is trying to think of her name. And she, she like no can't plan. think of anything. How did no she not plan. have a plan for that part? I, I, I know. Like, at least her name. Out? I thought the same thing. And then she tries to spit. 
that scene too when she tries to spit but it doesn't work but um he's basically like thanks to ping you can all pick up every single grain of rice and then we start training in the morning so from that moment no one likes her like no one is happy that ping is around and they make things difficult for her in this whole training montage and even her tent she's set up away from everybody else like she's not include it with everybody and so which is probably fine if you're trying to hide the fact that you're a woman also yeah, yeah i guess that is true convenient yeah uh but i love the pep talk that mushu gives her that next morning he's very like motherly he's got his apron on and he's like making sure she eats and like is giving her this whole pep talk and then they realize that the troops have just left and she's running late so but like where did they leave? They just went like. Down. I know they yeah, didn't go far. It wasn't that serious. Yeah. They were getting started. I think that whole that whole like sequence from like when like she gets in the fight and then everything was like it felt very like it felt very like uh, relatable. I think to a lot of people because like it was like you're going into a new space and you don't know mm-hmm. how to show up in that space and you're trying to figure it out. And then I thought like Mushu was like a really great like like uh, guide along the way, although he's like so clunky about it the whole way through. Like he, it was like, it was really like, he was like funny because he was like guiding her, figuring out like how she, like they're going to show up in that space. And it was just very interesting. I thought, it, I thought it was very, very fun. I think it yeah. was relatable. And I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I like how you're describing it show up in that space. I think that's like such an accurate way to describe that. And I feel like we all can relate to that in some way. You know, you show up, somewhere new and you almost are trying to be a version of someone you're not because you just want to fit in with whoever's there right i have a potentially uh i don't think it's a hot take but maybe okay warm to the touch take and that is i didn't care for mushu really oh yeah i didn't i I don't like love him but (laughs) oh like i love eddie murphy's voice but like it felt like, like, seeing how well he did Donkey, like, to me, it felt like this was a B. Well, this was before Donkey, right, so, it, yeah. He felt restrained in this, in a way. Mm. And he was yeah. kind of, I think they did a good job. He wasn't as, like, anachronistic as I think he could have been. The end scene, uh, yeah. you know, was something. But, like, I don't know. Like, I remember when in the new one, there's no Mushu, and people were like, how could you take out Mushu? And I'm like... Mushu feels like the first thing you should cut from this yep. movie. Like he felt very out of place, and uh, I thought the writing for him like wasn't. I think I thought I thought Eddie Murphy did a great job, but I didn't think that like his character really like I didn't really think he brought that much to to it. You know what I'm saying? Like I think that, I think honestly, my favorite part about him was just that, that he was like a little bit of a guide to her on like how to be masculine at the beginning, but then otherwise, like I didn't really think that there was much of a he didn't bring that much to it. I very much hear what you're saying and I'm wondering if it's because like I just really liked him as a kid and so like that yeah, nostalgia just I mean, kind of like hung around. I do like his relationship with the cricket. He's he's not bad. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I understand what you're saying I, I, and I, I think the way that the genies incorporate it, they do a much better job. Yeah. So I can see that. I see because what you it, mean with that. He does spend so much of the time like trying to hide Mushu that like he doesn't feel a part of the story. Like, yeah. I don't know. It, it, it was no, I see that. not as well incorporated as some of the others. And I wonder if that's because he recorded in his mansion and didn't go to, to the studio yeah, to record. Who knows? Uh, she gets there. She's running late. They all kind of notice that she shows up late. And... Shang shoots that arrow to the top of that uh, pole, I yeah. guess. And he's basically like, you have to get the so arrow. Why is that pole there? 
Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but he's like, you have to get the arrow and you have to do it with weights. And one weight is discipline and one is strength. And you need both to reach the arrow. And he tries, is it Jao? Yao. Yao, who tries to go first. And he goes, and I'll do it with my shirt on. Because yeah, there I is a very, he, like... He takes his shirt off. Yeah. Like, Ping slash Mulan is like, really like, oh. And then yeah. I just love that Yao was like... And we were all like, yeah. woo. For the, for yeah, the yes. And all, all three like, of us. Ooh. Yeah. It was like, ooh. okay. He was well, well, he's well drawn. He was well drawn. He was well drawn. Yeah. So then it cuts in to make a man out of you. So it's the whole montage. I love this song, but it's such a good song. And so it's this whole montage of them training. And again, this whole montage, you see that like they're making it even harder for Ping. They're making it even harder for her uh, because they are not happy with kind of how she showed up uh, at the camp. So this is happening throughout the whole thing. And eventually, Shang sends her home. He says, pack up your stuff. You're through. And before she goes, she looks up at the arrow and she's determined. And so she gets the arrow. And I love, I always get emotional. She uses the two weights to like cling together so she can kind of like lumberjack up. Yeah. Was that the intention? Like someone needs to figure out how or was... The original tension, like, you got to be so strong you can do this with the weights. I think it's just however you can get up there, but okay. you need strength and discipline. Well, I mean, but that they do, they all do that at the end of the movie. Yeah, they, they all, all yeah, use that so, move at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it comes back into play, and it's a very emotional moment, and it's also when she then gets all the soldiers on her side. It's just, like, everybody is cheering for her. Shang is, like, really surprised and impressed with her as well. And then it cuts to the Huns, and this is when they talk about how they're going to cut through the pass because it's the shortest way to get to the Emperor. And even though they know that the Imperial Army's there, they're just going to kind of barrel through them. So we kind of know their plan. And then it cuts back to Mulan, and this is where she's taking a bath. And she's basically like, just because I look like a man doesn't mean I have to smell like a man. And she just wants to bathe and be clean. And this is when they all go skinny dipping. Mushu's supposed to stand watch and they all come running in and then they officially introduce themselves. So it's Ling, Chin Po, and Zhao, I think. Yao. Uh, and then Yao's King of the Rock when he stands up and she's trying to look away as he's like loud and proud standing on top of that rock completely naked. Uh, and I just, like you said, we talked about this sequence earlier, but I, I actually like how they did this sequence. I think it could have gone a lot of different ways. What was the, the large, bald, round one's name? Chin Po? Chin Po, yeah. He or Chang Po. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it's Chin. Yeah. G. Um, I, it, he was my favorite just because he's so strong. He's a gentle giant. He's so gentle. Yeah. So, like hungry i just liked them he was yeah i liked i liked all three of them a lot i thought they were a fun trio yeah so uh mulan get winds up getting away from all of them because mushu bites one of them on the butt and then they think he's a snake Mm. so then they're all like on this rock huddling together uh not to go swimming because of the snake and and mulan gets away and this is where she overhears um chifu where she overhears Chifu. I'm so sorry we're having such a hard time. I'm so sorry. I just can't. This one's not sticking in my it's, brain. It's not just you. It's, I'm always like. Uh, 
But she overhears him talking to Shang and he's basically berating him. He's like, you're not going anywhere. Like, you're not taking this army anywhere. And he's like, they've passed all the tests. Like, they're ready. We should be going. And this is when Mushu gets this plan because, again, he wants Mulan to come back a decorated war hero. And he's like, we've got to get her to war. And him and the cricket start typing an urgent message. Typing. Yes, he's jumping on the ink, but it's making the typing sound. Uh, and so I love when they impersonate a soldier. It's Mushu and Cricket. That's probably the funniest part on a panda. But like the Cricket is like holding the thing and moving it. So it looks like his mouth. It's mouth. And it's stuffed with hay or straw. And he's like, you never seen a black and white before referring to the panda. Because I guess. uh, And then as they climb up the tree, the whole. The scarecrow, scarecrow like flops over. It was a funny moment. Um, but that's how they kind of get to war, essentially, how they get into battle. And then the song A Girl Worth Fighting For comes in when they're all just like hiking this long trip. They're kind of daydreaming oh, about weird. like, yeah. <laughs> so, cannot sing. Like, no. The worst Disney singer. It, it, it sounded because I don't think they could get someone to. To match that, that yeah. But yeah, so it's it's them just daydreaming on what their ideals are for the kind of woman that they want to impress after they've been at war. And at one point, Mulan Ping says, well, how about a girl who's got brains and always speaks her mind? And they're all like, nah. And then there's that scene where the women who are in like the rice paddy field who like kind of swoon over them. That was like, I don't know. I... I get what they were going for. I didn't love that scene. Like, I don't know what your feelings were on the song or the scene or, yeah. The song was so weird. The song was so bizarre to me. I don't remember that song feeling so weird to me, but then the whole time I was like, "Mm, this seems out of place. It didn't, it didn't bother me that much, but it also like, it was, it it was just meh. Yeah. I will say at the end where all of a sudden it cuts to the destroyed village. Yeah, and that's what I have in my... (laughs) Yeah, it's a hard cut. It it stops them in their tracks, literally, because they... And the song just, like, has a hard cut. And they see this burnt village. And I wrote jarring. Like, we all felt... I I knew it was coming. You guys didn't... I don't think remembered it at all. Uh, And it is very jarring. And so... Shang is just so confused because he's like, my father should have been here. Like, I don't understand how this happened. And then they look over this hill of snow and all of the Imperial Army is Mm -hmm. in the snow and has fallen, have died. And they bring Shang his father's helmet. Yeah, they bring the general's helmet and it's clear that his father's not survived. And the only one to comfort him is Ping. Like, nobody else. And I think, again, that showing... I don't think that should be a feminine versus a masculine trait comforting someone. But you know what I mean? I feel like mm-hmm. none of the men really know what to say. Like they bring him his helmet and then they don't really know what to do. And she just goes right up to Shang and just says, I'm sorry, which I think is I just think that's a really important moment. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys felt the same way or not. It felt like it was another one of the steps along the way that they were, they were, the two of them clearly like, and intentionally by the writers were building an emotional connection to each other, like throughout yes. all of it. And it was a very like, on the nose moment of that, which was so interesting to watch. Like he, you could see it, like the way they drew his face was like very like reactionary and like curious and like didn't know how to respond to the fact that like he felt something hearing um, Ping say like, 
Sorry. Yeah, and and just like comforting him in that moment, essentially. So then they realize that they're the only hope for the emperor. So they need to move out and they need to go after the Huns. And so while that's happening and they're trying to sneak up on them, Mushu accidentally shoots off the firework. And we never really find out why. I guess he's just like being dumb in there and shoots it off and it gives away their position. And so Shang is like really annoyed and everyone's really annoyed at Ping, but there's not much time for it because then all the Huns start firing fire arrows essentially down at them. And so they're like, we have to save the cannons. And so it's this whole scene of them trying to save the cannons. Um, Mulan Ping trying to get her horse free from the, what is that? Like the cart, I guess of the cannons And so they wind up firing all the cannons at the Huns and they want to save the last one. And they think they've they've made some progress. And then all of a sudden at the top of the hill, I thought that was so impressively done when all the Huns come running down the hill. I mean, it's really a mountain more than it's a hill, but it was like really intense and really overwhelming. And you see that there's thousands of them and very dramatic. And so. Shang is basically like, if we die, we die with honor. Like, there's like ten of us. There's so know. many of them. My my feelings were like he was like, well, there like there was no time even spent to think of a plan or think logically. Yeah. And then and then Ping's like, well, wait a second here. Like maybe not just die. Like maybe we could try something else. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Last Jedi, where Finn's gonna like storm the cannon and the, and I forgot her her name in the Ray. movie Rose. And Rose just like side swipes him is like you don't have to kill yourself like that doesn't yeah. have to be right. Evil. That's what I felt like here. Like, yeah, I well, and I think that's what they're trained. You know what I mean? I don't think it's yeah. always necessarily training. It's 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 a culture of like I have to be the hero. I guess that's true. Yeah, no, that is yeah. true. Uh, but they want him. He wants them to aim the last cannon at Shang Yu, and Ping's like, no, don't aim at him because she sees the reflection of the mountain in her sword and she gets the idea for, you know, we should shoot at that for the avalanche. And so she steals the cannon to shoot and they're all very confused at what's happening. And the Falcon stops her from lighting it. And then she uses Mushu to light the cannon. And she saves Shang several times in this film. And the first time is as the snow is coming down. That whole avalanche scene, uh, that that whole avalanche scene is, is, is just, like, the, them riding down is really cool, but, like, when she's riding through the, the avalanche... Yeah, it's basically a wave of them. snow, essentially. Yeah. yeah, and then she s- saves Shang again because she sees he's about to go over the cliff yes. uh, in this moment. And, yeah, that whole scene was, I think, really well done and really intense. And then the rest of the army winds up saving them with a rope and an arrow. And there's kind of a comedic bit where... They shoot the arrow and they're like, and then we'll save them by grabbing the rope. And the rope like goes through Yao's hands. Mm-hmm. And then he's so upset that he like let everybody down. And then the rope just falls back into his hand, which I guess is that like leading us to believe that the cricket is lucky. Cause, no, like, these Mulan things... shot it back to him. Mulan picked up oh, the bow and arrow right. and shot that's the right. arrow back and it went into his hands. Um, that's right. Which, by the way, shoot an arrow so it just goes land. Like, right, it's fine. It's fine. But yeah. Mulan saved everyone in that thing. Saved. Yes. Saved. Um. Sean. 
Shang, there it is, sorry. Saved Shang like four times and then saved herself. And I was like, who's the hero here? Mulan's just, yeah, she, she literally just, saves everything. everyone. <laughs> she saves everyone over and over and over again. Yeah, and we find out that Shang Yu has injured her. And we, we kind of see it when it happens, but you don't really know how bad yeah. she's hurt. And then after everything, she kind of touches her hand to her side and it's like bled through her armor. And so Shang talks to the doctor and this is when you realize the doctor's like, hey, she's a woman. Hey, uh, just uh, just so you know. Nice. Yeah. And where, so, where did that doctor come from, by the way? I don't know. They said go get help. But yeah, I don't know where he came from. I don't know what direction. Yeah, I don't know where they went to go get help. They were on a mountain and like I didn't understand. Except maybe like he was a part of their camp but wasn't like with them. Like was maybe like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, But as she's revealed to be a woman, you know, she tries to explain, I did it for my father. It was the only way, like, you'd understand. And at this point, he said, Ping, you have my trust, after she does the avalanche. Mm-hmm. Then he finds out she's a woman. And she's, like, on the ground, and he goes to get his sword. And she, like, in that moment, has readied herself to die. She, like, yeah. closes her eyes, puts her head down, and you think he might behead her. And the... uh Emperor's council is like, it's the way. He doesn't say it's the way. Chifu. Chifu says, uh, well, that joke's made. The Achu joke is made in there. Right, right, yeah. Uh, But he basically says, like, this is the way she, you know, but I just think it's such an intense moment because she's very much prepared to die in that moment. And he throws the sword at the ground and says, a life for a life. A debt has been repaid. And then they all just leave her in the snow. Which and Keith, was... you made her... I'm sorry. Yeah. I was so mad. I was like, a life for a life. Bro, she saved you like four times. You owe her four more lives, bro. Yeah, and you Plus made... all those other people she Exactly. Saved. Like, you, Casey was like, she killed like 70% of the Huns army <laughs> or more. Spoiler, at the end of the movie, there's seven Huns. Like, yeah like, yeah right. so yeah and i just thought it was interesting because like the way that he framed it and this again is probably like a like a military cultural thing but like it was as if like she had to die so he spared her life but like reality is, is like he chose not to kill her and like exactly like a life for a life and that just like rubbed me the wrong way because i was like well wait a second like she actually prevented your death like you're just choosing not to kill her like there's a little bit yeah but it's not the same yeah it didn't feel the and same to me so she's by herself with mushu and cricket and her horse and she just is very down on herself you know she's trying to do things right uh she you know, she wanted to prove to her family that she could do it right, that she could look in the mirror and see someone worthwhile. Like, she actually says that. And she just, like, doesn't feel like she's worthy. And this is when Casey and I were both like, you just killed that whole army single-handedly <laughs> with an avalanche. Like, but she doesn't see it yet, you know? And they all left her, so I get that. But as at that point, it's kind of just a very, like, moment where everybody is very honest with one another because Mushu then comes clean and is like I'm also a failure I'm also pretending to be something I'm not this is what was going on with me the cricket apparently comes clean that he's not a lucky cricket uh and so yeah so they all kind of come clean with one another and I like when Mushu's like we started this together we'll finish this together so they're very much like you know we'll get back home it's not going to be good 
it's really going to be bad when we have to come clean to everybody, but we'll do it and we'll go from there. And as that's happening, we hear the falcon and we see the falcon flying and the falcon finds Shen Yu. And then we see that not only does he survive, but like a handful of the army survives and Mulan hears that they've survived and she sees it. And so then that's when they head off instead of going home, they're going to go to where do you think they were? If that's where the emperor is, is that, I don't know what the capital of China in 42080 is. Yeah. But they basically go the other way to try to, like, warn everybody. So everybody's there at the celebration because they think they've defeated the Hun army. She's trying to warn everyone, but nobody, like, Shang, everybody is, like, not talking to her, not looking at her. No one believes her. She's like, you trusted Ping. Why is Mulan any different? And I thought that line was, like, a really... I don't know. That line hit me. I don't know if that line hit you guys at all. But like that idea that like you trusted me when I was a man, but not when yeah, I was a woman. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I also thought Shang was being incredibly petty. Yes, it, I agree. It, I always think of this. I, I've talked about this recently, but I will always remember when I when we watched Poltergeist and I asked <laughs> you what you thought about it. You said, I really like it. And I go, why? And you go, because they believed the woman. They believe the woman and especially the mom. Like, for moment one, they don't think the mom's crazy because stuff is moving around in the house. Yes, they, 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 go, they, they think, well, we got to figure out what this is. And they may not Yeah, the dad immediately believes her. The dad's yeah. be like, okay, something's up. Like, like right. Tara said that, I think of that all the time. Because that's a big trope. Yeah, a lot of times. Yeah. And Milan's not crazy here at all, but yes. Uh, well, she, I, him going, why should I believe you? It's like, because she, she's not just a, like, flat out lies about everything. And like, she, she saved your trying, life a, a lot. She was trying to, the first lie was to save her dad. Yes. So her coming on me like, the Huns are here, like, what advantage does that give her? You know, like, come on, man. Just yeah, like, like why would. do is stop this parade we threw at the last second. Yeah, like, why, why would she lie about that? Yeah, exactly. I think another thing, too, though, with that, like, the feeling of, like, lying is, like, I think that is often, like, a, that's a really, like, common, like, trope for, like, trans people. Like, that is, like, the feeling of being, like, deceitful, right? And, like, that, like, that thing, like, especially amongst men, like, interacting with trans women, like, that feeling of being lied to and then acting in a very, like, angry and irrational way, like, is, like, a very, like, common thing that, uh, it just kind of, like, I, it was, like, the first thing I thought of when, like, it was, like, all of a sudden, like, she's, like, all, like her, her entire existence was a lie and, like, everything like that but like mm-hmm. you can't look past just like a gender thing that like that's the only part that you're looking at and like that like j- that resonated with me because like that the lying thing was like very uh on the nose and like they they all like acted very irrationally and angry towards it yeah no very much so uh so then she heads to the emperor and i think it's mushu who's like well where are you going she's like i'm gonna find someone who believes me so she's convinced that she's like you know i'm gonna just let the emperor know what's going on and then he can decide what he wants to do and so as this is all happening shang is presenting the sword of shen yu to the emperor and then this is where ryan asks are they all in the dragon because that dragon's looking really <laughs> ominous and the creepy parade, yeah like followed shang all the way up behind the emperor and I'm yeah like, there's no reason that part of the parade should be on the steps to the imperial <laughs> palace like that and so they are uh but i love how we reveal where shang yu is he's like one of the statues up on the roof it's like a gargoyle so yeah we'll talk about this later but he's got a lot of good like poses and 
entrance. Yeah, yeah. He's and Casey, you mentioned it too. He's very dramatic. So almost dramatic. every single one of his entrances. And he's up on the roof. They're in the dragon. They capture the emperor. And then Mulan has an idea because they're all trying to just break the door down. And she's like, they're never going to get to the emperor in time. And so she has several of them dress as women. And then they climb the columns like they did when she got the arrow. So that's where that comes back into play. And so they basically try to distract uh, the Huns when they get up there so they can get to the emperor. And the emperor, the Shang Yu wants the emperor to bow to him. And I love the emperor's line here. No matter how the wind howls, the mountain will not bow to it. He had a couple of really good lines. Uh, So that was one of them. And so Shang heads in to try to save him. And then Mulan comes in. So Shang and Shan Yu, I had to interpret my own note. Shang and Shan Yu are fighting and he, Shang goes down and she basically distracts Shan Yu and she pulls her hair back and she's like, I took away your victory, not Shang. I'm the one who shot the cannon into the, yeah. the avalanche. Like, it's me that you want. You don't want him. So again, she's saving Shang here. Saving him again. again. Seven lives. Saving him again. Uh, and so she winds up getting his sword with her fan. I love that bit. So that was something they did because a fan is, 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 is mm-hmm. like feminine. Yeah. She was able to disarm. To make it into but, a weapon. Yeah. A, yeah. Fan, a fan is also a weapon. A fan is a very, like, it's, it's a weapon across uh, a lot of different martial arts styles. Um, and it's like, it's very commonly used weapon. Actually, my sister, uh, when we were in karate, when we were little kids, my sister learned the fan. Um, and it's like a, it's an iron, it's an iron fan. Yeah, I never noticed that in the movie until this time watching it. But yeah, an, an iron fan is like I, and it's see <laughs> exactly um and it's all and it, it, i thought that was very interesting but it is very feminine it was very like i thought it was a very like good play that she was able to like use something feminine to stop a sword which gives like very masculine vibes and like to be able and to, to like, make use it, it and to feel powerful in that moment using right. it in that way yeah right. uh and so she has a plan as this is all happening for mushu to get like a giant firework and so to blow up the bag yeah so he has based- She's definitely the first princess to actively murder the villain. Yes. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think very much so. Because she has a plan. Not only... The plan isn't just for him to hit the firework into Shang Yu. It's for the firework to push Shang Yu into all the other fireworks. Oh, yeah. So it's like a class. whole thing. And so, yeah. And his ashes rain down on the, on the people below. On all the people like, below. fireworks. But they all cheer for her in that moment. Like, they're all cheering for her. And then the Emperor's Council. Oh. I still can't. Go. Yeah, I still can't remember his name. But, yeah, he calls her a creature. I hated that line. I hated that line. Uh, and Shang then tries to explain to the Emperor... Uh, you know, what happened. And then the emperor just says to Mulan, I've heard a great deal about you. And he lists all the things that we've just watched happen. And then he says, and you've saved us all. And the emperor bows to her. And then we all, well, this isn't when we all started crying, <laughs> but it was a very like. I love this scene. And it's, yeah. It's, it's the return of the king, Lord of the Rings scene, where they're like, they start to bow to Aragorn. He's like, we should bow to you. And they all bow to him. And the movie should have ended there, but it still goes on for another 20 Well, years. we did like the moment between her and her father. I'm so, oh, king, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mulan. Mulan needed more. But, no. uh, but oh, yeah, yeah, but the whole. This, this platform to voice my. <laughs> that movie should have ended. Each one of those movies should have ended like an hour before they did. <laughs> but irrelevant. Let's, let's listen. Let's 
not get too they're perfect up until then. <laughs> if you want to do a if you want to do a Lord of the Rings podcast, I'm here. That's all you two. I'll listen to it. <laughs> uh, but the entire country bows to her. Like everyone bows to her. It is a very powerful like moment in the film. And he offers her to become a member of the council and basically gives her uh, what is his name and why can't I remember it? Chifu. Because I want to keep saying Fi Chu. Yeah. But I remember Chifu because I remember there's that uh, Chinese restaurant near us called Mama Foo's. So it helps me remember that his last name is Fu. And then it's Chifu. <laughs> so. Ever time. <laughs> Basically gives her Chifu's job and she turns it down. She's like, I've been home. I've been away from home long enough. But he gives her the crest of the emperor. He gives her the sword of um, Shen Yu for her family. You know, this is so your family knows what the crest is. So your family knows what you've done. Mm -hmm. The sword is so the world knows what you've done to save China. Uh, And she hugs him. And I love that she hugs him. And then everyone's like, can she do that? She allowed to hug the emperor. Uh, I think they call I think they called her he there i think did they? the uh-huh and i noticed it i know um i don't remember which one of the three warriors yeah i yeah i he I, he said can he do that at least i think i'm not positive but i i i noted it i i was like huh yeah like, it was interesting huh. um but yeah I, th- I just love that whole moment of her hug- like because we see her through the whole movie she does not do things the traditional way you're supposed mm-hmm. to do things so i like even when she thanks the emperor it's like out of emotion for that uh and then i love that the emperor like shang is really awkward and clumsy with mulan and just lets her leave yeah and he lets it's, her leave because again it goes back to he's more comfortable with her as a man yes yeah. and he lets her leave and then the emperor's like it's not every dynasty you find a woman like that. Like, what are you doing? Like, go after her. Like, you need to not be here. And so then we see the father in the blossoms in the garden, and Mulan greets him, and we all bald our eyes out. And that's where the movie should have ended. Like, with <laughs> Shang, like, coming to oh, see the yeah, family, yeah. and then that's where it should have ended. He's like, can I stay for dinner? And she's like, can you stay Stay forever? forever? <laughs> yeah, she's like, sign me up for the next war. Uh, but the father basically throws all the gifts that she brought back, and he's like, the greatest gift is having you as a daughter. That was the line. It was basically bawling. Uh, and we just loved how awkward Shang even was when he comes in. Mulan is the one who invites him to dinner. Mm-hmm. And then that's where the movie should have ended. Like, yeah. us just seeing them, like, enjoying dinner together, like, in a silhouette. Like, that would have been kind of cool. You know what? That's where the movie ends. We don't have to talk about any more of the movie if we don't want to. We can talk Pretend. about it if you want. Pretend it didn't happen. I mean, Mushu's... Here's the thing. Mushu gets promoted to a guardian again. I think it's kind of fun that we see that now he's in good graces with the ancestors, but then the rest of it was just weird. So it's like there's weird. a Stevie Wonder 98 Degrees song. So we did there's find that connection. Once again, the ancestors are like... They're partying, oh, party. you know, but like they're dancing real. like it's the 90s. So <laughs> it's just a so weird confusing. moment. It feels like the end of of a lesser studios animated movie. Yes, I would agree with that. In my opinion. Yeah. Sorry, I hope no offense to other studios out there. I don't know. Or anyone who enjoyed that scene yeah. from the movie. <laughs> All right, Casey, here's where we go over our questions we have at the end. Um, how was the princess? Uh, this is an easy one. Sometimes we have to establish who the princess is because it's not a traditional princess movie. But of course, the princess in this case is Mulan. And- is Shang? 
It's Shang. I mean, Shang's at least the damsel in distress, I would argue. I would argue the damsel. When we say the princess and the prince, it's the the princess is our main protagonist. So, like, Aladdin was the princess of. In Aladdin. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, I apologize. I apologize. Oh, no, that's fine. Mulan is is the princess. Yeah, because she's the main protagonist. Yes. Great. I think you you made a very good point. She's definitely a huge step forward for princesses mm-hmm. uh, at this time, and I think a, a real like prototype for the ones to come after this. Yeah, I think we've gushed on her throughout the whole thing, but Casey, I don't know if you have any additional thoughts about her, but yeah, I loved her. I thought she was fantastic. I thought that uh, she she created a new lane for for princesses. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm, for really sure. The other thing I was going to say is I really like Mulan as Ping. I don't know if we also want to talk about her as Ping, you know? I mean, yeah. I don't know that we want to divide it. I mean, yeah, because I that is her. But thing, yeah, but I just, I really, I, I don't know if I'm doing a disservice by saying it like that, but. I think there's Ping who she is when she's trying to like, I'm a man, but when she's just being herself and she's being a good soldier. It's, yeah, it's, it's neither one like or the that. other, it's her. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think that also just speaks to like the, the, the way gender presents itself in it's like what you're expected to do and like societally and stuff. And like how like Mulan and Ping were so different when at the beginning of the movie, but by the end of the movie, they were basically the same. I mean, they were always the same person, but they were basically like the, they, they, there wasn't much differences between their mannerisms and their existence and like the way they were acting because like, like they became more comfortable with themselves. And like, I thought, I think yeah. that talking about, you know, I think like, it's almost like, talking about Mulan without talking about Ping though is like doing a little bit of a disservice. So I think like, although I would, I think it's, it's one character, one human, but like it is like, you know, they're, they are, they are the princess, if you will, of this, of the story, it feels to me. I think you make a really good point though, of like Ping starts off as like a character she's created and she keeps like, like she keeps putting up like, Oh, I was just punching this guy and I'm going to spit now. (laughs) And then like that, Ping presents less and less as that. And yeah. Right. And even at the end, you know, she's more, she's so much more comfortable in her skin that like, she's not putting her hair up when she goes into that parade. Right. Yeah. She's not like dressing like Ping again. She's just like, she's comfortable as her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, what, how did you guys, how were the sidekicks? And well, you guys seem to make it clear. You didn't like Mushu. Now, I knew this was going to come back. And look, it's totally fine. I don't, I don't, I'm not obsessed with Mushu. I think I just, I think I maybe thought he was a little funnier than you guys did. And that's totally fine. He's my second favorite Eddie Murphy animated character. Fair enough. I understand that. I liked the cricket a lot. I think the cricket could be, Cricky I liked a lot. Her horse. I was going to say that. The horse had a lot of personality. Yeah. And her horse has a name and I can't remember what the horse's name is. Khan. Uh, the henchmen, I mean... They didn't seem really like they, they didn't have characters, really. Yeah, I think really the only one who did was that archer, but he was just, like, really scary. I, <laughs> like, I, he I, just was creepy. They were also competent warriors, and it wasn't like, here are my three bumbling, like, doofus henchmen. It was, yeah. It didn't give them That's a lot true. of character, but I thought that was a neat touch. And yeah. In the pantheon of henchmen, there's that. But I did like uh, the, the falcon, I thought, was very menacing, despite mm-hmm. not having... Yeah. Like being anthropomorphic and despite being ridden like a horse as a naked chicken at the end. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we didn't talk about that when Mushu (laughs) uh, burns all the feathers off of 
Um, what was what was y'all's favorite musical number? I think I'm gonna make a man out of you because yeah, yeah. I sing that song when I hear this movie. So although I thought I wasn't gonna like like you'll bring honor to honor to us all to us all. I didn't think I was gonna like that. And I I liked it because it sounds a little. I think they were playing like a weird synthesized version of it in the making of I was listening to. Oh, yeah. No, I like that one. And I also, I do really like Reflection a lot. I think mm-hmm. That's what I, was I say. connect to that one more now because I really listen to the words. I don't think I ever really, you know, as a kid, I don't know that I was paying as much attention to those specific lyrics and how they could resonate. I think it's an important song in that way i like the way that they used the music in in the movie to that was really the moments that they really did kind of like push they pushed if they in the places that the writers of in this movie were were pushing at like some like queer themes in there that was the music for the most part right like reflection mm-hmm. was a huge like it was very like it was very like on the nose like you said before like every line of that you can like analyze and really think about from a perspective of like gender fluidity and then same with like i'll make a man out of you like that whole like idea of like masculinity and gender and all those things like that was really like those were the moment and also the other one that i did thought was really weird um the uh the one dreaming about a girl yeah, dream, worth waiting gr- girl for girl worth fighting girl worth fighting yeah, for yeah, yeah that that one the other one it was also like it was another that, those were the moments that they really like pushed the that the um gender identity in and the like stuff that the writers were clearly like aware of and that was like the moments that i really like because like i i was wondering before this whether or not it was like I interpreted more of it myself as mm-hmm. like like because like it, it fit things that like helped me like made sense to me and like I took the movie and like fit it to like my own narrative or my own life. But watching it now, I'm like, no, that was on the nose. That was very explicit and yeah. intentional. Like everywhere along the way. I, here's here's my thing with that is it's you know there's a lot of problems with creativity by committee. But I think Disney does it well, and when you do stuff like that, and you get enough, uh, I mean, because it's like, part of the reason that the, the, a lot of villains are queer-coded is because they were drawn by, like, the greatest queer-coded villains were drawn by a gay man. Um, right. There are a lot of, of, of gay actors, and, and like you said, probably writers and stuff throughout this, that were able to get that across, whether it was... This is a this is the 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 planned when they pitched it to Michael Eisner idea for it they were right. able to go well I can put my experience in here and I can right. do this performance which resonates with people blah 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 and I think creativity sometimes by committee allows for elements to be created that make a story right. more appealing like in different ways that not every you know that you know I'm starting to see it a lot more with Disney you know since we you know that the idea of, of, of the queer representation in Disney was brought to me. I'm starting to see it more and see what they're doing. Like it, it allows for the story to be retold in, in many different ways. But I do agree with you that I think there were a lot of elements that shone through very obviously here. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting too, cause like to your point though, about like it being so many people, like I know you said before there were like 700 animators on it. I'm like sure there's like a ton of writers on it and stuff like, like, I, I think it's interesting to think about how they like push within the system that they were in, right? Because like, it wasn't obviously like you know booked to be this like queer icon movie, but it kind of like became that. And like you wonder where like those people that were like on the ground in that like being able to push, like you know what I mean? Like I think about like the, like six queer teachers at my school, and like we get to like kind of push in certain spaces, you know what I mean? And like that kind of yeah. thing. So it's very interesting to see how that like plays out into the movie, and like that becomes actually within the movie, and then you can see it. Representation at every level of mm-hmm. the creative aspect and, and, and the creative 
creation process. You know, I'm in a very white male, white cis male dominated uh, industry. Industry, and all the time it's like I'm always pushing for. I want I want. I want more experiences because I'm finding that my experiences and everyone's experience, and I want to. You know. You well, and you're. All that. I feel like you're always pushing for more inclusion and more voices to be heard that are yeah. usually ignored. I, and again, I do it for very selfish reasons because I want to hear more stories I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always say in creativity. I don't understand. I never understand when 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 white ma- men on the internet are like, I, "This is not how I want the story." I'm like, "But this is so much more interesting than the story you want to tell, which is a story I've heard over and over and over and over again." Yeah. The, the obvious reason is to inclusion, but my little personal non-altruistic reason is because I want to hear other stories. Because it's more interesting. <laughs> and experiences and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, so here we go with the how did it hold up, which I'm going to say I thought it held up pretty dang well from, from like a, first of all, female character agency. Yes. I don't think we she's, have to go into it. We thought yeah, she's amazing. About female character yeah, agency. saves everyone. Uh, drinking and smoking. I don't think there was any of either one of those, really. Uh, ethnic representation. This is the one we talked about. You know, we talked a lot about all-white casts and all Mm -hmm. white this, and this is one that feels like a really good step in the right direction of representation. Yeah. Representing. Representing the people, like, the, the characters you're creating. Yeah, and I'd love to hear, you know, it... If we have any listeners out there as far as like some of the traditions that they mention in here, it sounds like when it came to the gardens and things like that, they were very, um, what is cognizant the right word that on on the choices that they were making. But I'd love to hear if there's more of that that's in there that maybe we as, you know, Western, like white White people people. maybe didn't pick up on. Yeah. I, I just never know like I, I always start describing myself and then I'm just like yeah I always like kind of get tripped up on but yes I'm just a, a white lady uh, from you're the US a white lady. you're a wonderful white well lady. thank you um, uh, but yeah I'd, I'd love to know that you know because we feel like it was appropriate but I'd love to know yeah. if there were examples where maybe it wasn't or maybe it was you know we we didn't really do a ton of research from that point of view so i always like to mention and especially for its time as like a worldwide or i I don't i guess worldwide i don't know it was definitely introduced a lot of and disney's has worldwide reach um for its time it was making of that's like all the different language they put it in right they tried to make it representative in a way because they knew it was like at least going to go to china yeah there's a lot of like extra thought made into the characters and how they physically interacted so that could be told regardless of what language it was in Right. And I mean, that's a huge thing. I don't feel like going back, there's really much examples of that, of like, you know, Chinese, like protagonists and things like that in like mainstream. I can't think of many. So it seems like a really big breakthrough, especially for Disney. Um, guns and firearms, they shoot. There's there's some kind of intense moments like the 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 uh, whole dead army. The, the burnt village. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The guy that got yeah, lots of firework cannons that are used as weapons. The guy who got shot at the beginning of the movie too, when they were like, "How many people?" Oh yeah, deliver a message that was violent. Even though we don't see it, it's still yeah, it's a very intense moment. But I I gotta say, I feel like it's pretty good for a kid. Like I I don't yeah, for us it feels like oh, it's got one of those things where I'm wondering if a kid would key in on as much as we did as adults. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Agreed. Yeah. So now, uh, gang, I'm go- we're gonna uh, ta- we're gonna I'm gonna clue uh, KC here in on how to uh, do our um, 
villain ranking. Villain ranking. Because when we come back, he's going to be an expert. So we'll be right back. So we're back. Uh, Casey is now a uh, absolute master in the uh, uh, the uh, ranking system. So let's go for Shan Yu in uh, Mulan. First off, frightening. I think he ranks pretty high in frightening. I don't think I'd give him a full five. I don't know why. Like he just didn't scare me as much as some other people have. But I think he's pretty high up there. So I think he maybe a, a four. Okay. What do you think? I think I'm going to give him a five okay, because he fine. sends that one guy to his death and yeah. he burns the whole village down. He like has that little, he's like, we have to give the doll back to the little girl. And then when they go to the village, Mulan finds the doll and it's very clear that that little girl is not alive anymore. I don't know. I, I understand why you're not rating him high. That to me, it yeah. frightened me, but it gave me go away heat. So that'll go into I get that. Heat. Yeah. I just think... I just think he is terrorizing the entire country. Like, there's, the entire yes. country is scared of him. So I'm giving him a five. Again, there's not a right or wrong answer. I'm just yeah. explaining my answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what do you think, Casey? I think that I am going to give him a four on Frightening. But I think it's only because he was, um, he wasn't as, he didn't do as much to be Frightening at a level of a five. Like, I feel like he wasn't as present. Like, he would, like, pop up and go away. Like, his, it, it was almost more like his, the thought of him or his, like, omnipresence was what was frightening, right? Like, the fact that we knew the army existed and we knew the scary guy was coming and all that stuff. Like, that was what was frightening about him. But I didn't think, like, he, his lines and his interactions were super frightening. But then there were those moments, like Tara mentioned, uh, like, the doll. The doll was, like, pretty creepy or, like, when, like how Casey many people. may can... have talked me into a four. Ooh. Hmm. I think you've talked me into a four because when you said like he kept popping back up, I will say that I feel like they kept having to remind us he existed. Yes. Like there were a couple cuts that like didn't feel as natural that it was like, hey, remember, he's still here. It's still a thing. I think he was yeah. designed to be frightening, but I don't think he quite. Yeah. Was. No, yeah. I, I agree with you guys. The more uh, I've heard you talk through it. Funny. One. One. He's One. not funny at all. Doesn't do anything funny. So I don't think he had the type of energy that like the the evil queen or Ursula did, but he didn't. He had a solid three, maybe a two, two or three to me. You say no? I fundamentally disagree. I'm going like four on fierce. I thought when he like when he, at least a four. I'm honestly leaning towards a five. I thought he was so fierce. I thought there were moments he like showed up at the beginning of the movie and he like just like climbed up that thing and was like at him and then he like showed up on the thing and was like crouching and like looking over when he was like on top of the building like a gargoyle. Yes, and he comes down. I'm with you. I'm giving him a four. I yeah. yeah. I was actually surprised, Ryan. You gave him such a low one. He's so dramatic. Like, so dramatic. When they're up, on, when so they're up at the top of that mountain. In, and it's like him looking out over everyone and then thousands of people behind right. him come out. It, it is a very different fierceness from some of the ones I would agree with that. Yeah, so, yeah I, I would I, agree with that. But I think he has this air about him. He knows how big and intimidating he is. Yes. And I think he uses that. And it wasn't like it wasn't like drag queen energy style fierce, right. but it was more like dominance kind of fierce. Yes. Like it was very like it was very like. That. rank him he, i don't think he's a five because i don't think he, he didn't kill the emperor but i think he's pretty high up there because he got into the walls he, yeah he captured the emperor he get in but he was like up on top of the building like how's it going china like and yeah all the rest of his dudes 
We're inside the The dragon. Yeah. Yeah. And that was not his plan. Let's remember, that was not his plan. His plan was to roll up with thousands of people. Yeah, he was able to take over the Imperial Palace with, like, a handful of dudes. Yeah. I'm going to give him a four. And he killed the entire army. Yes, Besides the little crew they had. Like, he, like, Mm -hmm. laid out that whole army. So, yeah, I definitely think effectiveness for... Yeah, I'm going to give him a four. I feel like my effectiveness lately, I've been willy-nilly with my fives, so. Um, I uh, designed. I thought he had a really cool design. Um, I don't think it was the best one I've seen, but I'd say probably a three or a four. I thought he was he was very interesting looking. He's very He was drawn very differently from the rest of the characters in the film, and he was like three times the size of everyone in the film, mm-hmm. which I found yes. I, was unique and interesting. Uh, I, I didn't like, I wasn't obsessed with his look, but I didn't like not care for it. I think I'll give him a three because there were some things I liked about it. Same, Casey? I think a three. I think, um, or maybe a four. I'm going you know, to go with a four um, because I thought that the, the conjunction with like the bird was awesome. Mm. And like, I thought like that was like, like he, I thought like his, again, like his presence and the way that like he appeared and like the sound effects and like, those kinds of things were like really interesting or like even like the way that like, with like the song ended when we showed up to the um burned down village like and it was like very like, shocking and like he shocked like the shock factor was there and stuff like i thought yeah. that kind of goes in, like the design of how they like made his character exist because like his character was more than just the way he showed up on screen right he was like his presence was part like an ever-present character in the show in the movie i guess yeah. I, I will say we do, this is mostly just his like gra- like his design his style. just graphics then I'll give him a three. I'll go back to a three. Yeah. I think it's just more of like yeah. all the stuff they did before he like. All right. So I think we're threes across the board on that Threes one. across the board then. Okay. Uh, go away heat. Now, I know I said that I was going to give him some go away heat for the stuff he did, but he's not going to get a lot of go away heat for me because like I said, it was, I don't know, I think I'm going to give him a two. I'm a little bit close to, I think it's a hard two leaning towards a three because as you did point out, he probably murdered that girl. Yeah, we don't ever see that girl, but yeah, I think the implications, yeah, I think the implications, he's more intense than, but I think I'm putting that in there, right? We don't necessarily see that. Yeah, so I think I'm with you. I think while it was happening, it didn't affect me. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, reflecting afterwards, I think I would rate him higher than how I felt in the movie. So I will also give him a two. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, the, I never, like, I, it wasn't like I, I just, he just gave me the ickies. Like every time he peered up, I was like, he gave me the ickies. And like, yeah, yeah so I'll go with the two. He gave you hickies. <laughs> ickies. That was stupid. Uh, yes, Factor. I have, like, he's a one for me. Yeah, yeah I wasn't super excited to see him, yeah. For some reason, he just doesn't gel in the way a lot of other Disney villains do. I think he's an interesting villain, but, like, you put him up against a Gaston or a Jafar, yeah. and he's not going to come out. Okay, so his number, he gets an 18.7. Okay. Which puts him... Oh, uh, he is 26th. So where's that... Where he does he fall? One above the coachman from uh, oh, Pinocchio, Pinocchio. And one below man from Bambi. Which I think makes sense after we kept saying that he was like a presence. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of how man feels in Bambi. So yeah, because you don't ever really, see, you don't ever see man. It does put him above Prince John, which is BS. That Ryan's always but, um, always looking for that. Uh, yeah, so I think he's a pretty. I think he's in good company there. 
Casey, thank you so much for doing this with us. Uh, we really appreciate you coming out. Um, we ask our guests at the end of every episode to plug something, whether that's a personal project uh, you've got or some uh, piece of media you've been enjoying during the pandemic or recently, or just a general sentiment you want to put out there in the world. Please feel free to plug away. So my, my uh, I think my plug would be just, uh, you know, the... Across the country right now, we are seeing a lot of uh, anti-trans legislation um, coming up in states all over the place, including uh, Texas, where my good friends Brian and Tara live. Um, And I just, uh, I I know an an organization that is in the front, uh, on the front lines of that is a human rights campaign. Um, It's a national organization in the United States um, that does a lot of fights for LGBTQ plus um, equality. Um, I highly encourage people donating to the human rights campaign. They are a um, wonderful organization and they've been um, funding a lot of legal battles to stop uh the progression of these uh anti-trans bills and just you know watching the movie mulan uh me you know there there are so many uh themes around gender and themes around those things and like so many people enjoy that movie but then want to try to you know legislate people's bodies and those things so i just think that uh the you know being mindful of the fact that like you know these there are the themes in this movie have very real uh, implications for people um, in the world, and that, that that fight still goes on today. And you know, we can still enjoy this movie, but also remember that uh, you know the the fight for gender inclusion and stuff is real. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks. Uh, check that out, guys. And uh, our next movie coming Thanks for listening to Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. If you want to tell us your favorite Disney villain and why it's guest on, send us an email at trprincessdiaries at gmail.com. Or you can send a tweet about how great Maleficent is, too, at TRP Diaries. Check out our Facebook group by searching for Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, and many more. Wherever you hear us, please be our knight in shining armor and give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and until next time, remember to always live happily ever after. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.